This is a vacant title at the moment. More about that later. Let's go over to Brian Crabtree to introduce the main bout. Ladies and gentlemen, show me the contest of the season, a championship contest, and it's for the now vacant world mid-heavyweight title and belt. To be wrestled over 12 three-minute rounds, two falls, two submissions, or a knockout will decide the winner. On my right, from Calgary, Canada, Bronco Owen Hart. For Great Britain, Eric Farrell, a number one Lancashire's own, Marty Welcome to episode 61 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me are Benno and Jamesy and then also joining us this week for another round is Andy Ogden from Graps and Claps Audio and we've got tons to get into this week. We'll be looking back at our first annual Euro transfer window and uh, we'll also be reviewing 10 matches that we've all selected from YouTube in our BWE mixtape. Um, I mean, before all that, I just wanted to touch on, on what an awful last week or so it's been for wrestling as a whole. I mean, it's been covered in long form on posts with John Wayne, WH Park, and also by Benno and the lads on Grapple. But um, a pretty dark time to be a wrestling fan with, obviously, the awful news about Hannah Kimaru and Chad Gasper this past week. Um, not been, it wasn't the best weekend, really, was it, James? Yeah, I don't think, for, uh, for wrestling as a whole. No, uh, and I, I would add the sad passing of of Larry Sonka from Four One Mania with yes. that as well. You know, it's it's just you know, as wrestling fans, I suppose we we end up encountering death a lot. I suppose you know what I mean. And there was a period in our fandom, I'd say maybe ten years ago, where it felt like there was a wrestler dying nearly on a monthly basis, wasn't there? You know, between all the, the steroid use in the eighties and that kind of thing, and it it doesn't happen as often anymore. And then all of a sudden you get an awful week. Like This must be one of the worst weeks in my lifetime as a wrestling fan to have all those things happen, you know. And even to go with that then as well, there was another stardom wrestler, Arissa Hoshki, who had to retire at a very young age due to injury. Francis Caspin from WXW, a very, very young man in his early 20s who's had to call it a day due to injury. So it just felt like on a daily basis there was this awful news coming on top of us wave after wave, you know, and um, as you said, Martin, I, I think it has been covered exceptionally well elsewhere. I, I think John and Way have done a particularly great job with it. Uh, WH Park did a wonderful job um, mm-hmm. talking about the life and career of Hannah Kimura with the lads during the week. Um, great credit to you, Benno, and the lads on Grapple. I thought the discussion that you guys had about kind of stemming from the death of Hannah Kimura, about... Um, about social media usage, about reality TV, about the way people conduct themselves online, about the ownership that wrestling fans seem to sometimes feel they have over particular wrestlers and that kind of thing, about the culture of Joshi wrestling. Like, it's it's such a wide-ranging topic. Like, we could easily sit here for the next two hours and talk about all the things that go with it. You know what I mean? But, yeah, just a really sad week, you know, and hopefully we don't have a week like that again anytime soon. Um, and, yeah, just as I said, to, to pay our respects to those who passed away and their families and friends and our condolences to everybody involved, you know. 
Yes, I mean, you mentioned a few retirements there as well, and also today it was the sad news that uh, Sierra Loxton's retired. Um, I think yeah, she had yeah. news that she had a fracture in her lower back, and she's not someone we talk too much about on the show, but she's appeared all over the country for, like, Red Pro, Riptide, Progressive, um, you know, so it's never the best news hearing another wrestler's had to retire, and obviously we wish her all the best. Um but Andy, I mean, we've got you on here again. Uh, lockdown, we didn't manage to get into it last time. Um, are you still managing? Uh, how's it going up there in um, in Rochdale? Yes, not too bad. Weather's weather's been nice, and um, that's a plus. And um, I've been on oh god, fur- I think furlough for about eight. I think this is the eighth week now. So, but fingers fingers crossed um, because like non retail shops are opening up in the next two or three weeks that I can actually get back to work. Uh, I think I'm think I'm spending too much time watching international horse racing and uh, <laughs> what other directors sports uh, are going on. But nah, all's good. All's good here, mate. Well, we had a lot of news, didn't we? I mean, just today. I mean, apparently we're going to be allowed six people in our private gardens now. Um, Premier League's going to be kicking off in next three weeks, I think. Um, I think they just want us all to forget about Dominic Cummings, don't they, Banu? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, they, they don't believe the uh, the distraction tactics of the uh, the Tory party. Or maybe that's just the uh, the pessimist that I've grown into doing a podcast with Joe and JP about this stuff every week. Um, but no, it's a... Yeah, it's been a day of, of all that news. Like, I'm shocked the Premier League's coming back. You know, June the 17th is the date, isn't it? Two days before my birthday, just in case anyone wants to mark that in the calendars. But it'll be a fun <laughs> birthday. Getting to, I was planning on I mean, really, the only prep positive I think I've had from the lockdown is literally not being able to spend any money other than all of the money I've been spending on a couple of takeaways a weekend, which I've now, now I'm trying to uh, to work back off again. Uh, and yeah, I didn't save all that money. My my gift to myself on my birthday was going to be I'll pay off my credit card. That'll be a that'll be a nice thing to do for myself. I'll sort. How sad's that? That was going to be my birthday gift to myself. But oh. now <laughs> the Premier League's back, so I can I can get really excited. I can watch some football, and then Liverpool can win the league and ruin my birthday weekend. So oh. uh, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> the way it's going. Uh, potentially at Goodison. Oh no, the only thing you can win at Goodison, depending on whether Man City lose. So that'll be happening all around here that weekend. So yeah, um, I think that's. That's the main thing, though. I think they're giving us all these things as uh, something to distract us. Maybe we'll we'll all have some barbecues. We'll have a few drinks, and we'll uh, we'll forget about the uh, the, the horrible uh, news and the, the controversies over the weekend. And yeah, maybe it's it's done its job with me because I've got to say I'm part. I am a little bit looking forward to the football. Although I do know as a wrestling fan, the uh, maybe the excitement of watching uh, sport with no fans is going to wear off very quickly. Um, did you, Benno, have you managed to see any of the German football? Because obviously that came back the other week, didn't it? No, it's not really my thing, to be honest. Uh, I knew it was on and I, I had a little look at it. Um, for just odd, kind of, to watch it with yeah, with, with no fans and uh, no sound. It's a bit like, you know, when the you know UFC had their show a couple of weeks ago and there's positives to it and that, you know, if you can t- talk, say it's a positive, you can kind of hear the uh, the smacks when people are hitting each other harder. You know, you can hear the, the, the trash talk and stuff. Um, obviously, being in German, that's uh, not so good, but maybe in the Premier League, uh, that, that will be a... a 
a minor positive when the Premier League comes back to to be able to kind of hear the uh, what's talk between the, the the players and the and the ref and all, all that side of things. But yeah, I saw a little bit of it. But to be honest, yeah, I'm more uh, I'm more a man who'll just be waiting for the uh, the actual Premier League to come back. And yeah, this probably isn't really the actual Premier League coming back without mm. fans, but it has kind of yeah got me intrigued and uh, I've got uh, plenty of my friends here going back and forth uh, talking about it today as well. So yeah, I think those those distraction tactics are paying off. It's weird because um, the NRL Rugby League in uh, Australia came back today and uh, it's like miles bigger in Australia than it is over here. So they're in these mm. huge stadiums and they uh, piped in like crowd noise because obviously oh, they're no. in an empty That's arena. But it, it sort of worked in a way when they were filming it. I was the like, Smackdown oh, yeah, I pop. forgot. Yeah, I kind of forgot. <laughs> that, so. No crowd there. Yeah, it was really, really bizarre, but uh, sort of worked in a way. It's weird talking about all these events because obviously uh, Jericho announced he's doing his cruise in February um, and I mean when the lockdown and when um, sort of like coronavirus first started hitting us over here in the west uh, and events were being postponed until December it seemed pretty reasonable but now you look at something like the, even uh, something happening next February and you wonder if that's going to be a realistic thing to happen James absolutely yeah like it's uh, I certainly wouldn't be investing any money in tickets or flights or anything like that anytime soon for wrestling I, I just think it's it's so up in the air like we, we have no idea what will happen when restrictions are eased there could be a spike in this thing it could come back there, there is evidence that it has happened in countries like Korea and Japan already where they've eased restrictions and straight away the numbers just start rising again you know what I mean so it's a very delicate operation I think getting the world back to normal at the moment like um like, as you said, we were going to talk about uh, Martin o- OTT have said that, that that they have cancelled some some shows for late in the summer. They've cancelled one for August that was going to happen in Waterford, my own hometown. Um, and they are still hopeful of, of a stadium show happening in October. I, I would be very doubtful about that personally. I, I just I just don't know. You know, like I, at that point of the year, it'll be autumn. The weather will start to change again. We don't know what effect that will have on the virus. You know, the way we all seem to get more coughs and colds and chest infections when the weather starts to get colder anyway. Will that affect us? Um, Would I be happy to go to a show at that point, to go Mm -hmm. into a stadium? You know, even if the show did run, I'm asking myself that question. If there is a show that runs and they are allowed to run it in October, Will I want to go? You know what I mean? What what effect does that have on my work life? What effect could that have on my family life? It's something I'd have to think long and hard about. I was having a discussion with Ian Hamilton there um, the other night about the, the proposed Catch Grand Prix that WXW want to run the same month. And he was kind of saying to me, well, if that does run, would you happily fly to Germany for that? And my immediate answer was no way. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't risk it. You know what I mean? So it's not just whether people will be allowed to run shows, will fans feel safe to go to shows? You know what I mean? Will wrestlers feel safe to come and work in shows? Will wrestlers want to go to airports? Will they want to get on flights? It's a very complex thing. And I think you kind of have to just take it week to week at the moment. You know what I mean? And we haven't even had, as you said, we haven't even had the Premier League back yet. You know what I mean? We, we don't know what effect, even even a small thing like that, and the, the gatherings of maybe 50 people in a stadium, will that cause cases to emerge? You know what I mean? Because they're going to be testing all those people very closely. It's just, it's too up in the air for, I think, anything to be definite at the moment. And I feel very bad for wrestling promotions where, they just have no idea when they're going to be able to get back to normal business at the moment. Like you listen to Andy Q on his podcast and they just haven't a clue. They, they, they know as much as anybody, you know what I mean? And you can take all the expert advice in the world, but until it's safe and until you have a government mandate and even like, do you trust this government? 
if this go- if this British government tells promotions they can safely run shows, why would you trust what they say when they have shown a flagrant lack of respect for science and a flagrant lack of respect? you know, for the information coming from public health people. So it's just a really difficult situation, you know, um, and I, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest. What about you, Andy? Because obviously you've attended more wrestling shows than all three of us combined. I mean, would you feel comfortable going to a show, say, happened after the summer, or, 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 or do you even think they're going to have uh, UK wrestling shows later this year? Well, to, to be honest, Honest, um, just going off like one of the promotions I go, Tidal Wrestling, and the fellow who runs there, Ian, uh, has said they're sort of like fingers crossed, hoping to aim for around mid September, late September, um, getting their shows running. But yeah, it's, it's all yeah, very up in the air. It's, everything's um, whatever the government say, right? People say, right, I can, I can do this now. It's, it, I know people come up with that about saying about the uh, Cheltenham Festival and the Liverpool and Atletico Madrid match. Mm. At the end of the day, they were only following government advice. And it, it wasn't really up to their authorities to say, right, shut it down. They were just following what the government was saying. So I know what, I know what you mean when you can't, can't believe what, obviously, our government's saying because it's all, yeah, telltale lies, isn't it? But um, no, I can I can I can see something running around October November time if I'm being brutally honest. Boys, it's going to be a yeah really sparse crowd, maybe fifty to a hundred. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. I think it was in America or somewhere where they had um, someone held a concert and it was like a two thousand attendant. Well. 2,000 attendance um, capacity, and there were only like 230 there with, um, you know, the social distancing, and it just looks looks silly. Well, yeah, and I suppose especially places like Tidal and that, because obviously they're running um, quite small venues anyway, so it'd be interesting to see how that looks if they tried doing a, a social distancing show. Or, um, well, I think also, weren't Andy Q on his Patreon talking about maybe looking at what UFC have done and doing, like, a no-fan show, I think, maybe. Yeah, that'd be weird to see how that'd look in a, in a smaller venue. Um, but on top of that, I mean, we do have some small news items to discuss. Um, I mean, Drake Maverick's made it to the final of the Cruiserweight title tournament uh, after his teal, uh, tearful video and his uh, apparent... Firing. I mean, I even saw people claiming that it was just some kind of work shoot today. I'm not quite sure about that one, though, Benno. Yeah, I think people are a bit behind on that. I saw that take a few times where people are kind of going, oh, back to that, oh, it's dis- it's disgusting if WWE are doing, you know, what we all think is happening, that they brought him back just to do this tournament and he's still on his way out the door. And then, yeah, that old argument of, but if it's a work, and it's like, I, I don't think it's a work. Mm. I, I, I think pretty lowly of WWE, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I, I think uh, I, I would believe it if if there was any, if I thought there was anything to that, but I don't think there is. I think this is, they, 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 it's feeling like now, like they fell in love with this story and this romantic idea of Spud winning his job back. And you see, like, WWE personalities and commentators are all tweeting about how inspirational, you know, Spud is, to the point where I do think there's a good chance now he wins this thing and he keeps his contract. 
uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, whether that makes this thing any better, uh, I don't know if that's that's actually the case. Um, but you know, if it does happen, good for Spud. Uh, I know he's already selling. I think he's changed his Twitter name to Spud, and he's selling T-shirts. So <laughs> he's at, maybe he's working us now, baby, uh, or maybe he does really believe he's he's on his way out the door. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, that's the only way I see the story end. And now I just think you can't put him all the way to the final and then still sack him. Like, I, like I said. I think pretty lowly at WWE, but even for me, I can't see them doing that. Mm. I, I really, I really do think at this point is you know uh, I hesitate to say reward, but his reward is going to be that he's going to get going to get a contract. Now, surely that's happening. Yeah, I can't see anything other than that happening, really. Because I mean, it's like I mean, what are they going to do? Have him go all the way to the final and go? Oh, yeah, he's still sacked there. Remember what we did a month ago? Mm. They're not really going to do that, are they, Jamesy? I don't think. Martin, this is WWE. I know that is. The, there is always that chance, I, isn't there? I, 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 I expect, I expect little from them. Like you said, I think lowly of them, Ben. I, I, you know, you wouldn't know with them. You know what I mean? The only thing that the wheels are turning in my head, and I'm thinking a little bit. Okay, so Spud becomes, or Drake Maverick, as they call him, becomes the cruiserweight champion, and um, you have Jordan Devlin sitting on the sidelines claiming he's the real champion, um, and they do have a show planned in Dublin. For it was wasn't it rescheduled for October from from yeah. a couple of weeks ago? You know you've got an English man against an Irish man in 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 a in a venue in Dublin. Maybe that's a good match. Maybe that's the ven- the direction they're going. I don't know. Um, we were chatting before we started to record, and it's been quite significant that they've they've dropped all this talk of interim champion on the website and on their media. It's all of a sudden now. It's just the cruiserweight champion, and all of a sudden all of Jordan Devlin's talk about him being the cruiserweight champion has been dropped and of course us were kind of half gleefully thinking well does that mean maybe it's the end of NXT UK maybe all these guys are going to come back to the indies which hasn't transpired even though Travis Banks tried to work us all with his his new dog and we thought maybe that was an announcement of his contract being up um, so I, at this stage I don't really know what's what's happening but the whole thing still it leaves me uneasy. Like I have watched none of the matches in that tournament because I'm just uneasy about the whole thing. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of somebody a being used when they don't have a job or the, or B people being fired being used as a storyline. Either way, it leaves me uneasy and it just makes me not want to watch. And that's probably not the desired thing that they want people to be doing is turning people off by the way they're acting, you know? Well, speaking of things you have watched, well, I'm assuming you've watched it, uh, Matt Riddle and Tim Thatcher. I mean, that was, that was Jamesy Dream Match on the Indies, surely. <laughs> I mean, how, how did it go down in NXT for you? Well, um, they had two matches and I watched the two matches. I actually watched only this morning. I watched the two matches back to back so that they had one normal wrestling match, um, two weeks ago on NXT TV and then they followed it up with this, um, what was it called? Uh, the, the the pit, something pit, or I can't remember what they called it. It was this weird contraption where they had a cage with scaffolding around the around the edges of it. And um, I have to say that personally, I liked the straight up wrestling match that they had on the first week better than the gimmick match in the cage. Like, and it's it's probably my own fault for having certain expectations of it. Like when I hear of a of Riddle against Thatcher in a cage with Kurt Angle as the referee, I have. You know, I have a vision in my head 
of a hard-hitting grappling match that goes about 15 to 20 minutes and it's all mat work and striking and intense wrestling and that kind of thing. But this being WWE and this being NXT, they have to put their own stamp on it. So, so they put this scaffolding around the edge and at one point... They're fighting on the scaffolding. At another point, Matt Riddle is hitting moves off the scaffold onto Timothy Thatcher on the mat below. And it's 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 it was good and I enjoyed it to a certain level, but they didn't give me what I hoped for and expected from the match. So as I said, I think I'm actually one of the few people who just preferred the straight up wrestling match they had a couple of weeks ago. I've heard a lot of people raving about the match and saying it was good, but it just didn't deliver in the way I hoped, I suppose. And maybe that's my fault more than their fault, I suppose, you know. What about you, Andy? Have you managed to catch either of these matches? Yeah, I watched it um, this morning on my uh, usual four-hour block of uh, NXT and AEW. Mm. I thought it was a really good match. I thought the first match was just as good, just because it's so different from everything else, the more technical side of things. But I do think with Timothy Thatcher, um, I'd like to see how he goes from here because Matt Riddle's got that personality. And I would try to rack rack my brain on, is there anyone with personality who could work with Thatcher at the moment to give him that? Because Thatcher's not really the talker, is he? In, you know, in in the show. So, yeah, it'd be interesting from that side. But no, I thought it was a really good match. Really good match. Yeah, I liked it as well. I, I was probably higher on it than James. I think I, maybe I liked the shenanigans with the cage. Uh, I just thought they were quite creative with it. I didn't like the the silly tooth spot, uh, which was just mm-hmm. WWE yeah. being overly creative. Uh, but I did kind of like them grabbing submissions at the top and Riddle hitting the you know the weird moon salty thing that he does off the top and stuff as well. I do think like. Thatcher has really benefited from coming into, it's horrible to say, but coming into WWE at this point, you know, coming into a, a scenario like this where the con, you know, we are concentrating on the in ring. It's like, you know, those Drew, Drew Gulak, uh, Brian Danielson matches where like those matches wouldn't have happened on SmackDown on any given week. I mean, it's almost a shame for you, James, because this is stuff, you know, for really for, for the likes of you to sink your teeth into. It's just coming at a really weird time and a really awkward WWE presentation um, I don't know what you all made of the crowds as well that, that, that was that was my first experience of seeing this WWE version of the uh, AEW idea of having wrestlers in the crowd and all these pod people are standing around like it's an episode of the Black Mirror behind blink, <laughs> big glass windows like doing the you suck for Kurt Angle and booing uh, on cue for Tim Thatcher and stuff like and, and they're all there right on top of each other as well I mean say what you will about AEW running shows or the Premier League coming back in a couple of weeks at least they're testing people WWE aren't testing these people they're just throwing these poor trainees out as like I say as pod people to boo and, and cheer on command and apparently never get a sit down and kind of create this really really weird atmosphere uh, it was just so odd I hope, I hope it's only WWE that does this I can't see uh, any other you know promotions uh, following along this league because it is as much as I enjoyed the match the presentation was so so weird uh, from that point of view I think AEW have done it better in terms of the, the, I don't like the idea of people having to stand in a crowd and being that close to each other. And even on AEW, they're quite close together. But what, at yeah. least what, a, what AEW are doing is they're, they're putting 
people we know in the crowd and they're giving them a chance to get themselves over just by being in the crowd. Like like the MVP nearly of that last AEW pay-per-view was Big Swole in the crowd. She was amazing. In every match, she kind of got a chance to kind of show her personality and she was starting chants and you noticed her. And just by standing there and being herself, she enhanced herself as a talent. Whereas these people in the WWE crowds are nobodies. We don't know who they are. You know what I mean? They're just mm-hmm. people standing there. And like you mentioned it there, Benno, the, Angle coming out to his music in a referee's shirt and, and <laughs> this, this, this half-hearted, it was like half the crowds did the use suck chance and the rest didn't bother. And it was the grimmest, most awkward thing. Like a WWE legend and he's reduced to standing there with these people who are forced to stand in a crowd and kind of half-heartedly chanting his name while he half-heartedly plays to them. It was just, I, I thought it was one of those moments where I thought, God, just cut the camera off him and just get it away from him. Like I, I thought it would <laughs> never end. It was just so cringeworthy, wasn't it? Mm, it's just weird yeah that's it and yeah. Kurt Angle's another one isn't he didn't he get released from his contract too yeah. and then make him come back to yeah. it yeah yeah, yeah. it's one of the WWE for you isn't it like give you two things to enjoy out of the match and three things to take your out of it yeah, um, exactly. but you can never just be good I know they give you Tim Thatcher on TV James what's the complaint about? yeah and he's been good <laughs> to his credit like I, I put a tweet out there earlier saying he has proven that he can do TV wrestling really well like he, he would always have been the guy who the sweet spot of his matches was maybe around the 15 minute mark anyway so for him mm. to be doing kind of 8 to 10 minute matches it, it, he's comfortable with doing that he's good at it he can have good quick matches often his matches will end with a flash finish like like the first match against Riddle was a kind of a roll up and that kind of thing or he'll just grab a Fujiwara armbar and that's the end end of the match so he's actually shown now it's another kind of a if you talk about his resume as an all-time great or as, as you know if you're making a greatest wrestler ever list he can now put on his resume he's good at tv wrestling he can put on his resume that he's good in these like he is actively good in the empty arena setting um mm. you don't notice the lack of a crowd because you know there's no point in pretending that you have hot crowds, even on the even on the the wildest indie crowd in the world. You don't get hot crowds in Timothy Thatcher matches because that's not what it's about. It's almost there's almost a respectful silence when Thatcher wrestles in the indies. So when you're watching him in these empty arena matches, it actually suits him really well. I, I think it has actually nearly been the best thing possible for his WWE career that he that he debuted during this pandemic because he's he he, he and the like people who do good technical wrestling and hard hitting technical wrestling. They're the ones who stand out at the moment in this environment, I think. You can make the strikes sound good. You can make the struggle to get out of holes to get into holes sound good. You can kind of have a bit of melting off between the opponents and that kind of thing. Those wrestlers, like Daniel Bryan's been having some great matches. Drew Gulak, you mentioned him there, Benno. Mm-hmm. These guys excel in this environment. So I think it's actually been a blessing in disguise. And like, you know, the episode of NXT ended with him standing tall over Matt Riddle, who's a big, big deal in in, in in WWE, you know, so that bodes well for Thatcher. You know, I, we spoke very pessimistically when he was signed on here about where he might end up in WWE. It's been a very, very good start, you'd have to say, and far, far more than I thought he was going to get. James, eh? Um, I, I was going to hmm. say one thing. One thing I noticed that was good about Thatcher today was when he did his entrance, he just walked straight down the aisle instead of yeah. doing like everyone else does, yeah. where they just get to that center spot in the middle. Do the pose and then exactly. walk. He, he, yeah. He's not. He's not playing by the rules, which which is a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it makes him stand out. And like it, it, things like that have always made him stand out. Like even on the indies, when he'd win a match. He'd win the match and he'd walk off. You know, there's no posing on the ropes. There's no standing there while his music plays. He gets in, he gets out, and just by being himself, 
he's so different to the the manufactured NXT style, where, as you said, you have Rhea Ripley having to do her pose even when she's running to the ring to save somebody, that kind of thing. It's like, it's like, it's like when he's backstage, he just tells him to piss off and says like, I'm not doing that. You know, they probably said to him, get a Twitter account. And he said, no, not doing that. No way. And I think he kind of, I don't know. It's almost like that kind of attitude will gain you respect backstage, I think in WWE as well. So like, it's, you know, I was very pessimistic about him starting off, but it's, it's looking better for him than I thought it would. Moving closer to home, um, I mean, I just wanted to get your guys' quick thoughts. Um, obviously, WXW CEO Felix Kollenberg did a Q&A with Post on the Post uh, main site today, talking about uh, our shotguns coming back this Friday. Um, they've been filming it recently, obviously, uh, taking all the precautions, all the staff wearing face masks, uh disinfecting the ring after and uh yeah really interesting that uh shotgun the show is coming back this friday yeah i for me i don't know a huge amount about how the the setup is going to be i mean shotgun was a, a big thing that they they took away um and we all kind of they, they moved into this idea of doing road two shows and you know i think that the idea was that shotgun wasn't getting enough viewers uh interesting to see them bring it back i think i think a lot of it is purely just them kind of looking at it and going well you know what else can we do right now what's what's something we can we can do to utilize is it in the training school at all happening jamesy i think that's that's the story yeah, that, that the training school, they're going yeah. with that using that and the, the limit and the amount of people around i mean i'm not to criticize the germans because the germans are far ahead of uh of us when it comes to uh the, the coronavirus in general and, and the handling of it um i don't know how i'd feel if a british promotion was you know doing that right now and, and running shows even in their own uh training school but i imagine it's going to be a lot of that a lot of the i didn't know i always liked shotgun as a way to keep up with wxw i didn't always love like the amateur dramatic stuff where it was like you know the the invisible camera raw backstage you know back and forth between wrestlers stuff they did a lot of i imagine it's going to be a lot of that um to kind of make up the time um but it, it definitely was a hardcore favorite so i think a lot of like the maybe more the international wxw fans the people that you know mm-hmm. myself jamesy and you know that you know andy who, who, who kind of follow up from afar and used it to keep up to date um um, it's big news for them, uh, but yeah, it's it's innovation. So I suppose you uh, you do like to see that. Yeah, like I I I loved Shotgun when when it was the old Shotgun. Like like, and I remember. 2017, 2018, Shotgun coming out on a Wednesday night was was nearly appointment viewing because at that point their oh, storylines yeah. their storylines were really good. They were using that show to make the actual wrestling shows better. You know what I mean? And they were forwarding stories. There was little nuance and things happening between the characters. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of all peaked in that carrot we were at, Benno, where um, Dragunov came back. You know what I mean? And That's that was right, peak yeah. storytelling WXW. And I don't believe for a minute, like remember we were at those press conferences, Benno, and we, we put it straight to the guys at the top of WXW saying, were you told by WWE that you couldn't do shotgun anymore? And they flat <laughs> out said no, that it was their own decision. I, I don't believe them. I never did because they were so <laughs> proud. They were so proud of shotgun. Like it, mm. it was, it was really the jewel in their crown. Like, as I said, all the shows were booked around it. Um, they put a huge amount of effort in. Like I would hear from Alan Cunahan about, you know, the, the little details that they were so proud that they dropped into a show on shotgun 
shotgun and it would emerge months later in the ring then during a promo and that kind of thing. And they really put time and effort. They had dedicated people writing those shows and then they suddenly decide just to scrap it. I, I just don't buy it. You know what I mean? And like the fact that now they're suddenly bringing it back tells me, well, well, hold on. You, you dropped this show because you thought nobody was watching and now you're bringing it back and you're thinking, like, why would you bring something back that you've actively said wasn't popular? You know what I mean? None of, none of it fits well with me. And I don't know if you guys actually saw the clip of what the show was going to be. Like, it looks to uh-huh. me like, it looks to me like cinematic kind of, um, like a, like a serial drama kind of a thing. Like the clip I saw was, oh, the, right. was the Pretty Bastards, like filmed really well on a really high quality camera. And they're sitting backstage, like not, not, it doesn't look like a wrestling show. It looks just like a TV show. And they're sitting in plain clothes, smoking a cigarette. And there's a kind of a conversation going on. And it looks, it looks to me like, do you remember those Freedoms Road things that, um, was it Freedoms Road that Progress did or what was it called? That's right. Yeah, the, the, yeah it was. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, that um, the dome and stuff. Yeah, that really strange kind of docu-series they did. It's something along the lines of that. And when I saw the clip, I was kind of scratching my head thinking, I don't know if this is for me or I don't know if this is going to be popular. It just all seems a bit bizarre, you know what I mean? And it looks to me like something expensive. Like, like as I said, it's filmed on a really good camera. It looks like it's high quality. It looks like they've invested money in it. And I just wonder what what the return on investment is going to be for them. You know what I mean? So I definitely give it a look out of curiosity, but I don't know. I, 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 everybody suddenly adopting cinematic wrestling. It's going to become very old. It's going to become very old, very quick for me, I think. I suppose from their point of view, it's a way to keep, you know, with the restrictions in place in Germany and what they can and can't do, obviously, you know, mm. no fan shows and things like that. I suppose from their point of view, it, it might be a way to keep, you know, people remembering the name WXW and keep oh, yeah. people interested in it. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested in seeing that first episode. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't realise it dropped this Friday. It was so soon, but um, it'll be interesting to see what they've done there. But, um, I mean, it's taken us half an hour to get into it. I mean, before we get into <laughs> our mixtape, it's the uh, small matter of our last episode, which was obviously the big Euro transfer window and, Massive congratulations to Jamesy, soundly thumping us all, Benno in second, Andy in third, and me barely whimpering to last place. But, I mean, not to dwell on that, because, Jamesy, you must be <laughs> pleased the complete landslide, that fan vote for you. I think it was it was the look at the draw, lads. It was the, it was the number. It was getting Will Osprey, I think, wasn't it? Well, once you have that guy in your main event, I, I think people who are voting will always look at the the top match on the card, first of all, you know what I mean? And when you have Will Ospreay in there, it definitely gives you a big advantage, you know what I mean? And even though there's, you know, we'll talk later about how many wrestlers weren't picked. And even though there is a large pool of talent, the the pool of difference makers, I would say, and people who genuinely make a difference in European wrestling is very small. And if you can get a Will Ospreay on there, I think you're halfway there straight away, you know what I mean? Uh, and I do think it was highly unfair, Martin, that you got so so few votes. Like, there's no way that was a reflection of, like, I thought the four rosters were very equal in quality, to be honest with you. And I think the, the lowness of your vote is by no means a reflection of the I mean, quality of the Just carry on rubbing it in, James. You just carry on saying <laughs> the lowness of your vote. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here. I'm trying to be supportive. I'm only joking. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. I'd have gone to your show, mate. Steel show I definitely would on. have. <laughs> and of course, not only Osprey, but the Demon Kane. Once you pick the Demon Kane, you're flying, definitely. I think. Definitely. Yeah, we had no chance once that happened. <laughs> uh, oh, no. What was the day we did it? May 19th? Is that the, the, the Kane day? Is that the day it was on? <laughs> 
day the vote was, which which is the greatest coincidence of all time. It was it was it was it was it was, it, uh, was it Neil from uh, the friend of post wrestling Neil pointed out it was May nineteenth as well. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I think you are. At that point, James, I think that was your uh, your race in the hole, and I had no. I remember you were you were thinking that way, you know, that maybe I had that idea. It hadn't occurred to me at all. I was gutted. Uh, we got a couple of those though. People people leaning in saying, "Oh, did you know this person?" I mean, David Finley was what was one. Uh, as British born, there were a couple of guys. I think one of the um, was it one of the authors of Pains from like, was born here or something like that. I think That's I think right. so. Yeah, yeah. I think he's he's from one of the former Russian states. I think maybe or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Got to go deep on Wikipedia to get those ones. But yeah, yeah. hats yeah. to Kane. Shout to it. It was it was the moment of the podcast, wasn't it? We could all agree. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, what about you, Andy? I mean, your uh, your raffle and your uh, um, what was it, pie and peas you were putting on after the show was that that seemed to go down well, quite well with people. Oh, an after an after party, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had to cancel, <laughs> I've had to cancel the deposit on Rochdale Town Hall. Yeah, yeah in ruins. <laughs> I made a David Starper my one, and people people still didn't go for it. You know, put his <laughs> put his effigy on a pole, and people still weren't uh, voting me ahead of Jamesy. I think I, I went too sharp and probably with mine. I think I think I panicked. I think with mine, like I think there's a I think we all learned, didn't we? Doing this for the first time, there's a real like you can have your strategy, but your strategy can really go out the window mm-hmm. very quickly. Uh, I think my strategy was kind of like I had this big list of wrestlers I thought I wanted and I wasn't really thinking enough about the cards and I think that's where you got us Jamesy I think your cards like having Osprey and Cesaro straight away kills us all off um, having that nice balanced card I think with mine yeah. I kind of took a look at it after the draft and I was like oh Devil and Walter sounded good in my face but we've all seen it and then I was like shit I've sat- despite all my, my shit talking on these podcasts I've signed like half of the NXT UK roster <laughs> I've signed Seamus for some reason I think I was thinking like the long tape in about three years I can rehab these guys and Eddie Dennis right he's going to be a top guy not really thinking about uh, the car there to put in front of the people uh, so I think that was uh, that was very much my undoing my own uh my own lack of uh, forethought yeah i think for mine i was thinking like oh this is going to be a promotion that i'm going to build up for a few years rather mm-hmm. than thinking you know you need to put on a card what a, a you know sort of like a one show card that's going to make yeah. everyone go wow rather than thinking oh i'm going to build this guy up and do this and do this and do that whereas it you it was literally nobody knows that you know and we might have explained a bit of it on the episode but it, it's just that one card that people are seeing isn't it Mm, that's it, yeah. And I, I, I thought Killer Kelly versus Sheamus would get people in the building, but, you know, apparently not. Um, <laughs> but next time, we, we've all learned some lessons, haven't we? Some valuable lessons to do it again. And it was great to see all the uh, the feedback for it as well. It seems like yeah. people did really enjoy it. I mean, uh, you've come, of course, you've compiled a, a sea of stats uh, from the episode as well, haven't you, Jamesy? Well, you can tell, guys, that that I have a lot of spare time in my mind because I <laughs> I went I went through the rosters and put them all up on Excel and I've crunched the numbers and I just throw out a few interesting stats from it. Um, so there were obviously eighty wrestlers were picked. Um, in terms of the gender divide, we're extremely sexist, guys. There's sixty nine men picked and only eleven women. Um, there were fifteen nationalities in total selected. Um, six promotions in total represented and the way I broke it down was WWE general people who are just independent non-contracted, ROH New Japan, AEW and NWA talent Um, in terms of it's it's definitely something we should talk about is is the NXT UK stink and uh, Mm. the effect that being signed to NXT UK has on 
being a desirable pick. Like I had a look on Wikipedia and there's 37 wrestlers listed on Wikipedia as having an NXT UK contract. And like you would imagine that based on name value, the fact that these are people who are on the WWE network every week and the fact that you would imagine NXT UK would be taking away the best from the scene. You would imagine that most of those people would have been picked by us and only 16 of those 37 were actually were actually picked by us to go on our rosters. There were 21 people we just weren't interested in. And even if you look how late certain people went, like Mark Andrews was picked at number 61. Like if, mm. if this had been two years ago, I would say he would have gone in the first four or five, probably top 20 pick, I'd imagine. You know what I mean? Like mm. a high flyer. You know, you think back to all the great matches with Pete Dunne and his history and progress and that kind of thing. Trent Seven, 37, like genuinely one of the biggest names. If you list the biggest names in British wrestling, he's probably in the top 10 big names. Eddie Dennis, like you said, Benno, 69 he went at, like he nearly wasn't picked. And even Pete Dunne, like he didn't go to number 12. I think a couple of years ago, Pete Dunne goes in the first maybe eight at the very, very worst. You know what I mean? And like we talked about the list of people not chosen. Um, the Bowl, Jimmy Havoc. None of us were interested. Joe Coffey, Wolfgang, Mark Coffey, Noam Dar, El Ligero, Flash Morgan Webster, Dave Mastiff. Shah Samuels was one. A lot of people on Twitter, I heard Joe saying on your podcast, Benno, that he was yeah. surprised that Shah hadn't been picked. The thing I'd say about Shah is, yes, he's a name, but then you go to put him in a match. And it's he's, he a tough, he's a tough guy to put in a match, you know. Uh, Johnny Brawler, isn't he? You'd have to put him yeah, in a brawling. That's it, like, but yeah, it's hard to think it's, of a good matchup with him. Yeah, it's like it's like the Gallus lads though, like you just mentioned. Like I'm, you know, I'll be a big critic of Gallus and NXT UK. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend though that Joe Coffey's not in the top eighty wrestlers in the UK. Exactly. He is. Yeah. I just can't be asked booking him on my cards. Yeah. I don't think that, that says everything to that NXT UK stink, yeah. doesn't it? Um, exactly. I think Shah's another case. I think with Shah, it's just a case of he's been around so long, hasn't he? Yeah. And there isn't yeah. like a big one-off special match you can pour him in. If there was like a, I don't know, like, even even like maybe a match with Grado or something, if that was fresher, you could do that, maybe a comedy route. But I don't think that, w- that was a case, yeah, where I think it was more we all recognised Again, he's another one. He's probably in the top 80 wrestlers in the country. It's just a bit more difficult to kind of fit him into your card, isn't it? Yeah. Benno, Benno, we're going to say with Shah, though, he wouldn't have been eligible because he didn't have a... I don't think he had a match in 2020. Oh, maybe not, actually, yeah. Well, he would have been uh, Josh Bodum's... That's that's our excuse. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yeah, we should have, we should have thought of that one ahead of time. That's all it is. Yeah, we didn't just. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel bad now that 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 we didn't let you have Josh Bodum after I was allowed to have Kane as well. But I, I felt very guilty listening back to the show, thinking we shouldn't have been so strict on you. I would have been interested to see what he could have done for you. I won't hold it over you, mate. I I got to um, some way force Will Cooling into my card. So <laughs> think, uh, as far as problematic personalities go, I don't think I could have had Will and uh, and Bodum on the same card. So I'll, I'll forgive you for that one. Watching some of these mixtape matches, I've got to say, uh, none of us picking El Ligero, especially after watching this design. Yeah. Talk about safe pair who can probably have a, a fairly decent match with anybody. He was the yeah, best in the yeah. country at one point, wasn't he? Like, I used to vote in the UK Fan Forum 50, oh, yeah. and he'd be my number one vote for, like, three or four years in a row from about 2007 to 11, 12, something like that. Uh, again, NXT UK State. I think that's it. We've It is that – it's horrible to tar them all with that brush, but it does kind of change your perception on these wrestlers, doesn't it? They have all just – 
they've kind of been in stasis the last couple of years and dare I say it like we said about Travis Banks although he's not a Brit when we did that Riptide review they've all just got a little bit stale I'd say yeah big time it poses a question as well like you know Worst case scenario or best case scenario, depending on your viewpoint, let's say NXT UK, they just said, look, we're scrapping it. And all these guys are back on the indies. You you wonder now about about their, you know, the value they have to, to the likes of us. I, I think probably people like Pete Dunn, Walter, all those guys will be absolutely fine. You know what I mean? And they probably would get signed up to NXT proper. But your El Ligueros and Noam Dar, Joe Coffey, Flash Morgan Webster, do people want to see them in their local indie anymore? You know what I mean? It really, it really is an interesting one. As you said, Benno, we were reviewing that, that, that Riptide show with Travis Banks and it was like he comes out and for us watching, it's a real shoulder shrug. It's a bit like, okay. It's like a time warp. It is. It really is. And I wonder what their name value is anymore. You would imagine having been on the network that these guys would be a big deal in the indies, but would they really be? You know what I mean? Would there be, would they put bums in seats, these guys? I don't know. Would they? I don't know. It's interesting when we sort of like Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis because obviously before we all went into lockdown and despite our feelings towards them, they're still quite a major part of progress, aren't they? Yeah, and I rate them both highly. That's why I drafted both of them. And then I had the same situation where I was like, shit, what do I do with them now on my card? What's what's interesting to do with these these two lads at this point? Um, yeah, it's not to say we don't... Like I say, we all know Laguero's very good. We all know, you know, to his, to the point, Travis Banks is very good, and we all know those guys are good. It's just, yeah, I think it's just a, an overall interest point of view, really. And I think that that probably goes for, yeah, if we were in that, that unique situation where if, you know, that Travis Banks story had been being released uh, from NXT UK or a few of these guys ended up on the indies, there's a hell of a repackaging job, I think, needed for a lot of these lads. I think with Lugero, he'd easily slip back into doing his 17 shows a week, but it'd be, That's funny, true. <laughs> it'd be funny seeing him, whether he'd start doing promos at the start of the, the, the end of his matches or anything now after we've all heard him talk. <laughs> would he keep his union would he keep the union jack mask i wonder would he go back to the would he go back to the mexico flag that we saw him carrying in 2012 points i want to bring up on that later yeah yeah, yeah. another interesting one was the lack of interest we had in the wxw talent like we you know we took the big names and like you, you as a last minute pick you went for bobby guns the champion benno but like <laughs> it, was all, it was almost a kind of a spur of the moment last minute thing he wasn't somebody that you were dying to get either you know what i mean and he's the champion mm. of the company like like nobody went for avalanche absolute andy Maria salani look he kid. Kid. we were mm. all at carrot what is it? A year and a half ago. And that guy beat Tim Thatcher, Walter, Ilya Dragunov and Axel Dieter Jr. In the one night, you could not have put the guy over bigger. And they made a star that night. And 18 months later, we don't rate him in the top 80 wrestlers in Europe. We didn't even think we didn't even think of mentioning him after we had picked at the end of the show when we we're going through names like he just completely wasn't in our minds. You know, the Mac, a guy who was on the Cruiserweight Classic only two or three years ago, you know, the women's champion, Amal. Nobody thought of picking her. So it, it's interesting that we don't see value in those guys either, you know. Well, yeah, I was really shocked that um, you two and, and even Andy weren't going more with a WXW, especially considering sort of your viewing patterns, like I said about a year mm-hmm. ago. 
I'll be honest, with Lucky Kids, I forgot. He was on my shortlist, and I'll be honest, I lost track. My spreadsheet was going so quick and fast, and I was deleting so many names. I think at some point I errantly deleted him, but doesn't that say everything? That I, yeah, I didn't think of him after that point at any point. Like It's this whole rebranders, Metehan, I think maybe that's uh, part of it as well. I do think if we'd have gone up to like 25 or 30, I think I probably would have brought in like an absolute Andy as a utility yeah. player, maybe done the, uh, the tag team act... Uh, um, and done all that. Brought Jay Skillet in too, um, but it does say something, yeah, that they were they were maybe so far down our, our thoughts. And again, lucky kids, so far down my thoughts as someone I was so high on a couple of years ago to the point where I'd, I'd just forgotten about him entirely. What about you, Andy? Any regrets? Anything you wish you'd done differently? Wish I put Ashton Smith in, but hey ho. And not to. To be honest, um, there's quite a lot of women's wrestlers who, had, who I would have put in. Um, I think there's, there's plenty there, but um, I was saying the other day to main to mind that a lot of these promotions haven't swayed from like the top end of like Kaylee Ray, Viper, Tony Storm, all that end, and they've not really given a chance, you know, to like to like Lana Austin, Chikara's one. Um, Sammy Jane's another, Sammy Debbie Keitel. Yeah. There's tons. Um, I think from another end, um, there's a couple of names. That, like Mikey Whiplash, he would have been one of maybe a couple oh, yeah. of years ago. He, he's like a good hand. Uh, another one from the women's, Danny Luna, who I think maybe in a year's, year or two time will yeah. be in our top 20s. Um there was one here, um, BT Gun, who I actually saw win the ICW Heavyweight Championship, uh, I think in 2017, 2018, at one of the high, big hydro shows. And where, where's he now? Mm. Still and that, ICW, and that, I think. It's ICW, isn't it? They're just sunk without a trace. Yeah, it's true that. And it, it's... It... Just talked a lot about it. It's like I said, you know, you could go on and on about the women's wrestlers that we missed out. But um, I suppose the thing is, if we did make it more, if we did have more picks, then I was already worried that my card was, like, too long when you think about show running times and things. Yeah. You know, when you start going a bit too yeah. in-depth yeah. with these things. I know Andy got, you got a few uh, barbs thrown at him for uh, maybe having too long of a show. <laughs> but I think it's true, though. Brit rests that's in it about nine ten matches on a card. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the proper stuff, isn't it? Um, but I think as well, though, Martin, like to your point, I, I, this is all after the fact. I think beforehand, if you'd have told me we've only got twenty picks each. I thought we'd be in the dregs in 18, 19, 20. And I think in a roundabout way, we actually found out, I mean, maybe it's a, a, a nasty way of putting it, but the dregs actually go a lot deeper. And we probably could yeah. have got like another, another 10 picks out easily. Like you say, Jamesy, you know, did the, did the work and, and figured out whole, you know, a whole extra card and other people who played along with the podcast figured out whole extra cards worth of, of people that you could have done something with. So I suppose that's a, maybe I'll put it in the, the most negative way possible. That kind of is a positive that the, the wear so many names left on the table and we maybe only we didn't really think that going in we did think maybe the the 20 would kind of cover it i mean i was i was going to send you over um a prize james you know like one of them shields that you get at um, 112 football tournament but uh the shipping <laughs> fee to ireland is actually higher than the actual shield and i was like right i'll go back to the drawing board i mean um 
Benno's giving you your own show on Grapple, so I suppose that's uh, <laughs> that's prize enough for you there until we can think up something better. But uh, I mean, <laughs> moving on from um, moving on from one of your concepts, Jamesy, to uh, another of your concepts. I start calling you Mister High Concept or something because you came up uh, with this week's show as well. Before you do that, Martin, I have a few awards to hand out. Remember, we, we have a few tongue-in-cheek awards to hand out for, for based on the picks that people made in the draft. Go for it. So the, the first one I have is the Respecter of Women Award for the promotion that booked the most women. And that goes to Andy Ogden, who, who, who booked four women on his card. So well done, Andy. You're, you're, you're a great lover of women, Indeed. clearly. <laughs> and at the, at, at the opposite end of things, we have the Hater of Women Award for the promotion that booked the least number of women. Benno, what is it? Oh. Women? <laughs> One single woman booked on your card. Look, it's not. It's not like I just forgot near the end of the draft, right? And it was. I, I had a genius plan. Killer Kelly and Sheamus. That was a big match. I was going for it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I, uh, I disappointed old Martin Bentley. <laughs> and then we have the. This is the Will Cooling Brexit means Brexit award, and this is for the roster with the most Brits. And that was Andy <laughs> booked seventeen Brits on his card. So clearly, Andy, you've got no interest in those foreigners wrestling for you. You just want to have a full British card. I'm a proud member of you, Kip. On. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that on it. <laughs> next, we have the not the way the WWE Bootlicker Award for the roster with the most WWE contract. Oh, no. no, it's it's actually me with nine. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Jamesy. There you go. I'm, I'm absolutely disgusted with myself for that. Yeah. Disgusted. You're, you're NXT UK Dublin takeover. Tickets are in the post, mate, <laughs> for, the, for the rescheduled date. Not the way, Benno, not the way. <laughs> and then we have, we have the Joe Lemon Award for the roster with the least number of WWE contracted talents. And that goes to Andy again with six. So fair play to you, Andy. You're the least co-opted member of the podcast. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I've got the, the biggest shock award and I've got three places here. So coming in in third place, it's Benno for booking zero ICW wrestlers. I can't believe you didn't book any Scottish wrestlers, Benno. What's happening? Uh, mate, I was tempted. I really was. Uh, the regulator Wolfgang was on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, seven's a former champion, you know. He's kind of honorary Scottish. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, the second place... Second place is myself. I can't, I can't come on here and not bury myself for booking only one Irish wrestler and booking 12 Brits for my eternal <laughs> shame. I'll, I'll never be allowed to go to a show in Dublin again for the how, how few Irish wrestlers I put on my card. But in first place, it goes to Martin. The biggest shock of the 2020 European transfer window was Martin Bushby for failing to select his hero, Joseph Connors. I know. <laughs> I know. I regretted it as soon as we as soon as we switched off. I was like, "What says more Sheffield when a Sheffield Street fight with Joseph Connors involved in it?" Headlined many of them Southside shows, and I was like, "Why? Why did I let my hero down?" Uh, there you go, mate. Graceful. But we you, all know the biggest that. shock was uh, fucking Kane from Spain. Wasn't, was the biggest shock. Spanish round eighteen. I, I, I should have left us till the very last pick, but I was afraid that Benno had copped onto it as well, so I had to get in there ahead of him. But it would have been a great very last, because I had the very last pick in the draft, and if he had been the last one, it would have been perfect. Well, that's going to be a tough one to upstage that next year, James. You'll have to get your yeah. thinking cap on. 
We'll have to think of some different rules, but I definitely think it was successful, guys, and I think it should become something we do at least on an annual basis. It was great fun. Yeah, and your uh, Union Jack's in the post too, James. It's like shipping that <laughs> ah, they, they won't let that through customs, Martin. There's no way that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send it down through the north. That'll be fine. Um, anyway, yeah, like um, like an out of there, um, you've come up with another concept for uh, for this week's show, the mixtape. Yes, and it, it goes back to, are you guys old enough to remember having cassette recorders and having, having oh, cassettes yeah. and listening to your music yeah. on cassettes? And remember, oh, you, you, you'd make you'd make a mixtape for your girlfriend and you'd put all your favourite tunes on this tape and you'd give it to her and it was your way of showing your love for your girlfriend by making this mixtape. Well, my way of showing my love for you guys is for us to have a mixtape. and we're, we're, We've all selected two matches each um, and in these times of COVID-19 where there's no wrestling to review, we're, we're kind of scratching our heads and trying to think of unique shows and new ways to come up with them. We've come up with this concept of the mixtape where we've all picked two shows each we've watched them all and we're going to review them now and have a chat about them and i think there'll be some interesting talking points to come out from them i think yeah definitely um yeah i mean obviously um a lot of people are doing sort of like favorites you know or picking matches but i thought it was interesting because it was it's quite hard for us wasn't it because we wanted to make sure it was on youtube so everyone could pick a lot yeah. and so we were like wow look at all these uh well last brain zack saber junior matches from red pro on the air and then as we started adding to the playlist they uh mysteriously vanished so we made it <laughs> <laughs> somebody's playing silly buggers with us yeah, i know um, i think we we killed the red pro youtube i think i think that's what happened james had a playlist <laughs> and then the next day it was gone the next day they were gone yeah 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 very very strange i'd love to know who was behind that so i would <laughs> yeah definitely well i think i think we managed to find some uh gems on there and um, i mean i cheated a bit with mine but it features two brit wrestlers so that's oh, fine yeah. but, but there's, um, there's no that rules really it's anything to do with european wrestling i think just to make it interesting definitely and um yeah i mean there's a few on there that i've mean i've been meaning to go and watch for a couple of years so it's a perfect excuse to uh check them out and i hope um, everyone else uh will check out the playlist we put together um it's easily searchable it's just a bwe mixtape so yeah if you go and check that out and um then i think it was linked on uh on the post wrestling side as well. So yeah, should we get into the matches? Uh, first one was uh, your pick, Jamesy. It was a uh, Owen Hart against uh, Marty Jones. Yeah, and I suppose that the reason I, I picked it number one was because Owen Hart has been a, a topic of conversation lately with the Dark Side of the Ring documentary and that kind of thing. But my my real mission here was Benno. I've, I, I, I've been listening to Benno burying the world of sports style and the old British style for months and months and weeks on this podcast. And I was trying to think, could I find a match that would make Benno admit that, that there actually were good matches back in the 80s and in the UK? And like, I do love this match. Like, I, I, I would have reviewed this match with, with Alan Forel a few years ago, uh, back when he was doing the Dr. Keith show on, on figure four wrestling. And I just think it's a really great example, number one, of how good Owen was so young. Like Owen, this match is from, I think it's March or April in 1987. He's about four years into his career at this point. And like, he's already amazing. You know what I mean? And he just, you know, you, you watch a lot of the old British stuff and it's slow technical stuff and there's holes and there's trickery and that kind of thing. And then Owen Hart comes on the scene here and he's, he's coming off the top rope. He's, he's, you know, he's springboarding. He's doing all kinds of Lucha Libre influence stuff. Um, he's, 
so well able to go here like he's just all go like at, at points Marty Jones is kind of out of breath and Owen is bouncing around the ring full of beans like he's just a complete stud he, he reminds me kind of of a Matt Riddle almost bursting onto the scene at a young age and just blowing everyone away with his physical prowess you know and I just think as I said it's it's just it, it to me it's it's like it shows that there was work rate back in those days and I'd almost say I kind of got the image in my head that maybe this was like the Osprey Ricochet of its time where like you'd have the likes of Big Daddy sitting in the back and he'd be berating these two when they came back to the dressing room for doing so much in this match because like it's a 10 round match. It's a clipped version of it that we watched like but it's just all go. There's something happening all the time and my big question is Benno did I convince you in any way? Did you enjoy this match? (laughs) All right. It was good. It was all right. right. No. (laughs) It was a good match. I think it was cool getting to see Owen in the setting so I think you sold me there a little bit can't it feels weird just like i know you know you know lager did it and there's been other wrestlers that have done you know the who were around uh during the world of sport era and during the, the mount evans rules stuff but it is so weird seeing owen hart like as a fully grown adult kind of in this weird british setting that you wouldn't kind of picture him in i almost wish i'd stumbled across it you know back when these were on um, the wrestling channel like or if i was on watching it on men and motors and just owen hart turned up because i wasn't aware of this match to be honest i think i maybe vaguely knew that he's he'd come over here uh but i'd not really thought much of it so no you sold me james i think it, to be honest i think it was a good template for what maybe could have happened but didn't with this style um, one thing I'll always say is like I, I'm not a fan of rounds. I, I just don't enjoy it. To mm-hmm. be honest, as like a as a as a crux, really. For I think we've outgrown it. And when people try and bring it back, I just think it's a bit tryhard. I think it's the, the the it kills the flow of matches for me, and I don't enjoy it. That said, this was a good template for the way it could have gone. Like if you know Vince and WWE with the with the flash and the uh, the bodybuilders that uh, the commentary was having a, a little bit of a go at as well. Uh, Adam coming, you know, Kent Walton getting a couple of side swipes in there about the uh, the uh, the bodybuilders uh, of the Americans and these being proper technical guys. If that had happened, I do think maybe you know this might have been the way it had gone in that you kind of had your technical style with your rounds and then Owen Hart was throwing in high spots like a, a hurricane runner and like you know yeah. big things off the, an elbow off the top rope and things like that that like you say yeah the old timers are probably rolling their eyes into the uh, the back of their heads backstage so yeah I think I mean that's kind of while I'm not a fan of it, I do recognize that when this style kind of went away in the early 90s, we lost a very, very British thing. And I will say you can't really force it back. Um, I think any attempt to bring it back has just never worked. But that that's not to say in an alternate timeline, you know, maybe we could have kept it, kept it in some form a bit more like this match. Uh, and, you know, you've got your your maybe your ring camps and your Jack Gallagher's and your Jordan breaks who kind of keep the uh, the spirit of the style alive. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe there would have been a, a place for uh, for matches like this, and maybe yeah, you know, I might have might have instead of being a WWF fan in the early nineties, maybe I could have been a fan of this. Um, just not the way history went. Uh, but again, you know, I was pleasantly surprised, Jamesy. So I'll give you that. Good. Well, that's all I wanted, Benno. Well, um, I mean, much like Benno, I'm not a fan of the uh, rounds matches, and like you say, Benno, I think it is quite outdated. But um, it's, it's certainly a style that um, I had a big smile on my face watching this match. It's certainly some uh, this technical style and everything. It's certainly something that you can really, really appreciate. And it, it was funny how, I mean, I mean, the biggest pop the biggest... that they got was when they did that simple over-the-top 
rope move and um yeah i thought that was great um i can't believe mm. you've been talking about this without talking about um it wasn't just owen hart it was the bronco owen hart in his full uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. in his full cowboy <laughs> gear <laughs> even air horns here i don't remember they were a staple at wwf events in the early 90s and it was weird to see the mirror and especially when he showed you at the end and you had that uh that grandma in the front row were proudly with her air horn out, but uh, <laughs> that wasn't an euphemism. But um, yeah, I, I did really enjoy it, and I had a big, uh, big smile on my face watching this. Watching this match, certainly a style that I, um, it, I you know, I'm not as um, up on it as you, Jamesy, but it's something that I can really appreciate. Um, but what about you, Andy? You were you were a fan of these um, old world of sports style matches? And um, to be honest. Yes, I am. Um, I, I, more my stuff, uh, uh, speaking to James, more my stuff's the uh, Les Kelly end of things, uh, more the comedy side. Um, yeah, that used to have me in um, fits of laughter when I was young. Well, well, not when I was young, when I, whenever I'd see it on like, the repeats on telly and on the uh, wrestling channel. Um, things I noticed um, during this match, on the Bronco thing, well, Bret Hart was also cowboy Bret Hart, wasn't oh, he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and the rest of the, the channel, the, yeah. So, like, the Brits must have this uh, fascination with Canadians that they think, bloody hell, they spend a lot of time with horses and cows and <laughs> some things. <laughs> um, there was also that mad lady in the front row uh, with the yellow dress on. She was great. Having a go at the wrestlers. Um, there were stuff I like that what Owen Hart did was like the, the Frankenstein, how mm. he pulled that out. Yeah. Like, you don't, don't see that in World of Sports. in there as well. Yeah, and, and stuff like the top rope usage where he got um, he got bollocks off the uh, referee for sort of doing uh, for using the top rope. It sort of reminiscent of um, early WCW, that was it, was it Bill Watts. I think it was, wasn't yeah, it? it was Bill mm, yeah, he wouldn't let them use top rope moves, yeah. Yeah, but um, then again, Marty Jones got his own back with doing a drop kick off the top rope. So, so I think the referee sort of played played fair there, but even though it was like a clip-down version, you no, you could see all the good work that was going on, and especially the stuff from Owen Hart, like the more high-flying manoeuvres, which you'd see later in Owen's career. Yeah, breath of fresh air. That's what I would say with this match. What year was it? That, I wasn't actually sure because the uploads from uh, our own John Lister, isn't it? 87. Is that when it yeah. is? Yeah, 87. Yeah. Wow, I, I couldn't like get you. the exact date, but it was March, April, 87, yeah. God, you put that in context. And yeah, like like, like you say there, Andy, like the some of the stuff I was pulling out in there, if this was happening in WWF, I'd have been going, what on earth was that? With the, you know, the Rana slash Frankenstein and stuff. Uh, yeah, ahead of its time. Um, I, yeah, I liked that. Again, you know, I, I was, I think a, a big part of this that I really liked about it was Kent Waltman, on, Kel mm. Walton, sorry, on commentary. Like, oh, yeah. can we <laughs> fairly say at this point he's the best commentator we heard all night uh, through these matches? Because yeah. there's some, there's some bad stuff coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I've a got, shout out to I've Greg got, Lambert, who's what was that, Andy? I've got a mention of one bad commentator. Um, he's, he, he comes up twice during these matches. You probably know who it. <laughs> oh, I can see that one coming. 
And you, you mentioned Kent Walton there, Benno, like I, I, apparently you, you could tell during the commentary that he was completely blown away by this match. Like there were points and he mm-hmm. apparently he, he later said that this was the best match he had seen or he had commentated oh, wow. on and all his. Yeah, like you think back to he must have commentated hundreds, if not thousands of matches over the years, like because he was literally there through that whole run on ITV. He was the one constant, you know what I mean? And we should just mention, like you talk about legends of British wrestling, like th- that lovely voice, mm. me and Adam, would, we, we would never kind of, we did lots of episodes about world of sports, that lovely voice, just so relaxed and so composed and never losing his composure. It just shows another, you know, we, we will talk about lots of other, commentators overdoing it shall we say on matches and on this show he's just so calm and relaxed and it's just so soothing to listen to him comment on these matches like just a complete professional definitely and um to go to andy's point about les kelly yeah i enjoy his stuff and uh, maybe for a future mixtape there's a really good uh brian glover be les kelly match on uh, youtube we should have picked that for this one as well <laughs> Lovely so stuff. thinking about that yeah but um what was your uh, second pick jamesy my second match then was um, moving forward in time a little bit was from March 2008 and it was uh, the American Dragon Brian Danielson as he was known at the time against a very young Zack Sabre Jr. and I couldn't not pick this match like like this is genuinely one of my favourite matches of all time it's um, you know you could make a list of the best Brian Danielson matches it mightn't break the top 50 or top 100 in terms of being a quality match. But in terms of me enjoying the match, it would probably make my top 10. Um, just a little bit about the history of it. It, it was um, There was a promotion running out of combat. And Andy probably knows far more about this than me now. But there was a, I think I have it right. There was a promotion that used to run out of Coventry at the time called Triple X Wrestling. Um, and they closed their doors at the end of the previous year, at the end of 2007. But they had already had Danielson booked for March of the following year. So they decided to just run this one-off show to kind of make good on the booking and to make sure that they got him, you know, they got him a match in Coventry that day. And they put him up against a very young Zack Sabre Jr. Now, Zack at this point is extremely inexperienced. He, you know, apparently he wasn't even a well-known name to a lot of people, only the hardcore fans and only the, you know, the real diehard fans of this triple X promotion would have known who he was. He was literally kind of just out of training school. Um, It was a match that was a holy grail for people for a long time until a friend of mine from the States called Quinton Moody actually found it on a website and put it up on YouTube. And that's how it's so freely available to everybody. Um, the reason I like this match so much, and we'll probably talk about it more in detail, is there's a botch about halfway through the match where Danielson pins Zach and the ref counts three. And it's clearly that Zach, young, poor, young, inexperienced Zach, forgets to kick out. And the three count is counted. Um, and, and actually, a, a lovely little point is the referee of the match is a very young, unrecognizable, I would say, Damien Dunn. Like he's, he looks like he's about a 12 year old guy with long hair at the time, spots on his face, almost like this young teenager. And it's the reaction of Danielson to this botch. Like at this point, Danielson is easily one of the best, if not the best wrestler in the world. Like he, he has held the junior title in Noah. He's had his great run in ROH. He's a massive star in wrestling. And like for him to even take this booking, like this show, ta- for people who haven't seen it, this show takes place basically in the back room of a pub. If, if there's a hundred people there, they're doing very well to have that many tickets sold. This is very, very small time wrestling. And yet he takes this booking. And like a lot of wrestlers, when that happens, when a botched finish happens, would have just taken the win gone to the backstage area and that would have been the end of their night. But instead, 
Danielson is just a pure class act about it. You know what I mean? And he, he has a word with the ring announcer. He has a quiet word with the referee. He calms everything down. He engineers a situation where he asks, he gets the microphone and he asks a little girl in the crowd who's wearing a Brian Danielson t-shirt, do you want to see another fall in this match? And of course she says yes. The crowd pops and the match starts again. And I just think it speaks to his class as a professional wrestler, that he would come to this tiny arena and give people their money's worth. And nobody would have complained if he'd gone to the back and that was the end of the match because they had seen a really good match up till then. But instead of that, he wrestles for another 10 or 15 minutes. He thinks on his feet. He shows his calmness. It just, you know, you can point to dozens of Danielson matches where the wrestling is great. But I just think this was a great example of his wrestling brain and his class as an individual. And I just have great affection for it. You know, the way he carries himself in the match, the crowd is pelting him with paper. You can see he's enjoying himself so much getting to interact with this crowd. Like, you know, he's the hated heel by the locals. There's almost a smirk on his face. He's having so like there's no there's no barrier between him and the fans. The fans are just sitting at these pub tables beside the ring and he's in amongst them. And he's just a guy who clearly loves wrestling so much that he's out here having fun and enjoying himself. And I just think that's Brian Danielson all over. To me, he's the greatest wrestler of all time. And I think the fact that he would come and do this match and react in the way he did to the botch is just it, it just speaks to his greatness as a person and greatness as a wrestler. And I just love it. I just love this match and the whole setting so much. I do, as much as it, you're right, it was like hardcore fans. I do remember Sabre Jr. around this time period had quite a lot of buzz around him about, the, you know, this guy who's come out of the uh, Hammerlock training school. So I remember yeah, he, yeah. he took uh, Chris Hero on at, at 1PW maybe a couple of months after this uh, after this match in 2008. So he's he still, I think around um, a lot of the Brit rest scene, he did have quite a buzz around him. Okay. But, um, I mean, to talk to your point about Damien Dunn and uh, certainly Zach Samajumia with their emo haircuts look like they're uh, auditioning to be in Funeral for a Friend. I was uh, laughing my head off. I had no idea that was Damien Dunn as the referee. Absolutely hilarious with that uh, scene hair that he had at the time. But, um, I mean, there's not much more I can say than what you've already said. Mm-hmm. It, the crowd does seem to be a real interesting mix of sort of like your hardcore fans and kids. And it's like mm. they've all come together for this show. And... Um, I mean, it's it's fun going back and watching these uh, quote unquote sort of like dream matches before they were really big dream matches. I mean, you know, obviously you get ten times the amount of people these days, and Zach's not really at his peak here yet, but um, still an enjoyable match. Um, that it is really interesting that it's been on YouTube for so long, and I've um, it's the first time I've checked it out because didn't they face off again in WXW in like quite a short match like maybe 10 minutes in 2009 so uh, yeah it's interesting that we've only had this match up uh, twice yeah and just just imagine if they did it again now like you say like oh. that would be if Brian ever I'll say sees sense and leaves WWE this is a match that, that will headline anywhere won't it and you could God. you could do the video packages to, couldn't you and show this this working men's club with the terrible yeah. ring announcer yeah. and the the emo Damien Dunn ref uh, yeah like that that'd be that'd be a great little story to do uh, but I think yeah, I think James he's kind of said everything you know you can say about this match because it is it is it's a it's a lovely little gem of Daniel Bryan Brian Danielson somewhere you wouldn't expect to see him and I think to be fair to him when he came over to the UK you know and doing a lot of like the camp shows and the all star stuff 
you know he loved all that stuff and i think it yeah. really developed him as a wrestler i think as a personality like you'd notice when and i'm sure you'd say it too jamesy when he you know he'd come back to, to roh at this these during these periods and come back and he just you know his his work with the crowd was that little bit better yeah. his career yeah. his charisma came out a little bit more he's always so many people writ up as not having a personality but I, I never thought that was accurate but i do think his personality came out bigger because of these types of runs and like yeah credit to mr pro as he is because he would although there were cameras dotted around there's no way he thought this match was going to be making tape and idiot podcasters like us in 2020 would be looking back <laughs> on this thing and he's still putting full effort in isn't he like for the you know the dads and lads sat around the, the worker men's club um working with this like you said like you said man this emo zach saber jr with hair flying round raw as anything you know like you said Making a name for himself, but very much, you know, there, there still was a chasm between him as a, a UK indie guy with Buzz and a best in the world, Brian Danielson. But Brian Danielson, you know, was willing to, you know, put the work in and, and do it and, and go, go to this degree and, you know, make a, a two out of three falls, essentially, story out of the whole thing. And yet I was just, to be honest, I've been to, like Andy will probably say, but he's been to a lot too. I've been to many a worker men's club and at no point was the, the best wrestler in the world there. So, yeah, extremely jealous that this is a, a show I can't say, you know, going back in history, I was there for. This is just proper Brit wrestling, this working man's club with <clears> stage <throat> and curtain and everything and the tables around, like proper classic venue. That um, Where was um, Danielson at in his career at this point? Was this just for his time with WWE? Because obviously he said many times, hadn't he, that um, if the money had been better, he could have stayed doing the camps for the rest of his career. He started a bit of time in ROH to go, didn't he, James? A couple of oh, years yeah. still. Uh, it was, it was 2010 he signed the first time. And I remember they sacked him and he had that brief run again in 2011, I think. So he still ha- he still had a bit of time to go. Like I was looking at his cage match and the, the following week, I think the reason he was in Europe was for 16 Carats 2008. And like ah. you look at the names, you want to see who he wrestled. He made it to the final of Carrot that year and he wrestles Chris Hero, Mike Quackenbush, Naomichi Marafuji and Bad Bones John Klinger in the final. Like, talk about it. <laughs> talk about it. You know, you, you go from this little, this little gentleman, this little workman's club in the, in, in, in the, in the Midlands of England to, to 16 carat the week and wrestling these guys who genuinely were the best on the Indies at the time. You know what I mean? And, you know, the nice thing is he gave just as much effort in this tiny little venue in Coventry as he did in Germany the week later. And that's, that speaks to his, his quality as a wrestler, I think. What That's about you, Andy? Was, was this sort of stuff on your radar around this time period? Yeah, I was wondering uh, where the Ogdens were. Were they not in the corner somewhere? I was expecting you and Jeff to be in the corner. Not, not. <laughs> I could have heard them at that to venue, honest, I think. To be honest, 2008, I wouldn't have been going to any independent shows. Um, the only ones I'd visit were like your ROH when they come over here and, uh, and Noah as well. Um, yeah, no. Were near the show. I know. I know quite a few people who were in the crowd. They were um, Gadget off Twitter, Ben Corrigan, Chris Line were there. Um, Chris, oh, wow. Chris Line were, were actually uh, sat next to a, a certain Mister Spud uh, yeah, in that's the right. audience. <laughs> I think it were uh, Chris was like sat in the second. I think front row or second row. He had air on, so yeah, he won't be recognisable um, compared to now with his bald head. Uh, but um, yeah, stuff I, I took out of this match was when Brian Danielson had come out to the uh, final countdown by Europe, and with, with this being Coventry, I always remember. I think it was about three or four months after this uh, when he was at Noah, 
European navigation in, Co I think, Coventry. And um, he did the same thing there as he did on this show, which was like, Coventry doesn't deserve the final countdown and couldn't <laughs> use that. Um, there was that. Um, I, I found it great when um, Zach Sabre Jr. did a tall pace suicide to the outside. I thought, where's he pulled this out from? Because generally nowadays is the is like a submission artist. You don't don't expect stuff like that. Um, yeah, it, interesting. It, it's more like um, yeah, like a hidden hidden gem. You you could see what Zach Sabre was going to become later on and Danielson at the time would have, well, best wrestler in the world, wasn't he? That's mm. Let's let's not beat around the bush. He was the best, weren't he? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, part of history, I'd say, Andy, like, I back you up there. I think that's, that's what it felt like. That's what it feels like watching this. Like, no, you're not going to you know slap a load of stars on it just because of how young Zack Sabre is, but it feels important, I think, in his career. And it feels like a, an important part of, like, Brit Res history. Um, and I did think, I think you were going to say, I thought you were going to say there with the uh, that entrance, when he called when. Danielson comes out to final countdown. Like speaking of mixtapes, that really sounded like someone was playing that on cassette. Like how fast <laughs> it's like just the the music and like I said, the ring and now the, the entire set. Yeah, how far we've come. <laughs> oh, he was terrible. His, his red shirt and his waistcoat and his and his black leather pants. Yeah, he was desperate. <laughs> uh, should be careful. He's probably a booker somewhere now. I reckon everybody in that room's got a job in Brit Res now, or is like a yeah. hardcore Brit Res fan on Twitter. To, to be honest, Ben, ben you know, I asked that I asked that question when I reviewed this on my on my podcast, and yeah, Chris Lyon, they didn't have a clue who the ring announcer was, um, oh. but yeah, so yeah, can't put a name to the face. Well, he won't he won't be the last bad one we talk about tonight. I think, uh, <laughs> no. um, I think we're on to your first pick now, aren't we? On the playlist, Andy. Let me get to my notes. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, Speaking of my friends. Yes. Akira Tazawa versus El Ligero from June the 2nd, 2012. Uh, yes, the ring announcer wasn't the original ring announcer. It was uh, Mr. Christopher Leary, who generally spends his time in the DJ booth with his, uh, with his brother uh, on the decks playing the uh, musical over the Tannoy. Um, usual ring announcer was Richard Parker uh, for many years. Uh, he come out with, uh, he announced Akira Tazara's, Takira Tazara. Uh, um, um, Tazara. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like Takira Tazara, awful. Um, I would say um, Tazara at this stage uh, would have been PCW's third international import. Obviously, we're in the early days of PCW, but they would get known for bringing all and sundry from abroad. But uh, before this, they had used um, Colt Cabana on the first show, like uh, every Brit Rest indie back in the day. Yep. And uh, I think Rene Dupree was actually on this show uh, before the Tazawa and El Ligero match. Uh, Tazawa, um, at this time, Generally, would just come over for the uh, Dragon Gate UK shows, which I go to. And uh, to be honest, he was one of the most charismatic people on them shows. Mm. Uh, with this um, this event, uh, which was PCW Guild Wars, 
Uh, what a great name. Uh, it was my second PCW show. Uh, and I think I mentioned to yourself, um, I would only miss one show uh, from this stage onward uh, for the next four years. I think I think my relationship is very similar to uh, Undertaker and Vince McMahon. Um, yeah, they keep, they keep bringing me back. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, what do you think of this match, guys? I thought it was a great matchup. I thought they really complemented each other well. I mean, the main thing that struck out for me, because obviously PCW have got a show on over here on the on Fight Network, um, the video quality is like going back all these years and a million times better than the current TV show. And now, Andy, you were telling me how the they lost their cu- their cameraman and then had to go with different people. But the venue looks amazing with that huge chandelier. Um, I think Tozawa's hilarious. I mean, wiping his ass on the Mexican flag, calling Leguero, you know, puta madre, like he's actually Mexican. <laughs> I don't know what he was expecting from that to get a heel reaction from the crowd. Um, I mean, this, to talk that this is the same year progress started and they get all the plaudits for kickstarting Britrest back up. But I mean, look at this match. Packed nightclub venue, rowdy football-like uh-huh. atmosphere. You know, how were these not bigger Preston City Wrestling? <laughs> Oh, I know. Honestly, it's it's those Southerners, Martin, taking all the credit again. Like I will, yep. I, I, on behalf of Andy and people like him and people like me, we're going to these PCW shows in these days. And I know you were going to stuff up in Sheffield, Martin. Like people forget about like PCW is like such a big part of the the boom period of British wrestling. Um, like uh, as far as like you know bringing out hardcore adult fans who'd be willing to pay big money to see the imports. Obviously we saw that with one PW. We saw that with the FWA. We saw that with, with other Indies as well, but in like this new Brit res kind of boom, they, they kind of led the way with that. They had a, you know, it was a nice mix of kind of fans that you had there. I know James, has got some notes on that. Uh, I think just generally that they, they just get forgetting, get forgotten, sorry about how important they were to, to this boom period really. And yeah, the, the VOD looked, incredible like at the time i reckon if you'd asked me martin like i, ne- I probably wouldn't have expected to be doing a brit res podcast in 2020 mm-hmm. and i probably would have said someone said to me oh pcw you've got a great vod that's ah, brit res i'm not watching brit res on vod get lost mm-hmm. i wish i was though because this looked great it looked genuinely like amazing and that's an incredible like as a venue like as andy will tell you evoke is just awesome like uh, the the big chandelier they got a, a number of bars around the place, massive standing room. Like we're going to talk about another PCW match later. That's even busier than this. But when that place was busy, like it wasn't always the best atmosphere sometimes with like the hangover shows and the long days. But as far as just the visual and just how incredible it was that a, that a Brit Res promotion was drawing those crowds at this point, it was, it was genuinely awesome. And I've got to be honest, I hadn't seen this match up until this point. I've never watched it. And it reminded me how good Leguero can be. Like, I'd kind of yeah. gotten it to our talk about the draft earlier on. Um, Leguero's kind of a given. I would say he's 100% the Brit Res. I think most people would say this. He's the most uh, often wrestler I've seen live uh, out of Brit Res, just because he was everywhere for a long point. But even I'd forgotten, you know, how good he can be on his day. And I did think he stepped stepped up a gear to kind of uh, keep up with uh, Takira Toza. Uh, and keep going and moved, you know. <laughs> he did At the start, I felt like he was moving a bit slowly. And then he, he got into the pace of the match. And yeah, between this and there was a low-key match that I saw Leguero have a, a PCW maybe a, a year or two after this. Probably my two favorite Leguero matches now uh, to see. Um, and yeah, you know, he was genuinely awesome in the match it was a genuinely like 
this would be a four star or above match for me, even if it happened now. Um, loads of you know big stuff in the match, big near falls as well. And yeah, as far as this playlist goes, maybe there's better matches, but I think mainly through the shock of maybe not expecting it to be as good as it is, this is probably my favorite match from uh, from all of this. So yeah, great pick for Andy. Benno. Um, hmm. I was just going to say with this match, he did win the 2012 match of the year in Fighting Spirit magazine. So he was wow. rated that year. Um, wow. with, with, with the actual venue, the actual, you know, that chandelier in the middle, hmm. uh, that, got, that actually got changed um, like a couple of years after this. They did like a refurbishment when it, when it changed from uh, Lava this would have been the Lava Ignite years um, before right, it yeah. changed, before it changed to a Volk. So, and that's when PCW went to uh, Rooms, which was about two or three doors down, uh, and for a couple of shows, and then they returned to a Volk. But no, it's, it's changed over the years. That um, chandelier up top, and even mm-hmm. like the even like where the wrestlers come down. You can see a bar in the corner, and that's not that's there right, anymore. Yeah, that's it's, not there. It's just like um, where, where the, I remember you saying, uh, "Join." That's where Councillor uh, Judeal sits, isn't it? Yeah, yeah join <laughs> that World to War show where you said, "Oh, the Preston Mafia is out there." Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, has, it has changed over the years, but no, still, still a cracking venue, even though there's obviously less, like less people in there. It's more, it is more catered to a family audience now at PCW, but nonetheless, they make, you know, like family audiences, the kids make as just as much noise as us idiots at the back. But uh, no, it's, it's still a cracking venue for wrestling, certainly. And uh, Jamesy, what do you think? Yeah, that exact point you made there, Andy, would be my major takeaway from the match is the atmosphere and the lovely atmosphere you can get at a show where you have a mixture of kids who would always make noise, they'll always be enthusiastic, they'll always cheer the faces and boo the heels, you know, they, they'll do things the way they should be done, uh, as we would see it as wrestling fans. And then you throw in the smart fans who, who knew who Tozawa was, like, uh, and you could tell that there were people in the crowd who were there to see Tozawa because when he comes out, they're straight away chanting for him. They know who this guy is. They're Dragon Gate fans. They've been watching their tapes and that kind of thing. And it just, the mixture of kids and what I would call smart fans Mm. just makes it a great atmosphere. Like, and it's not often I'll watch Brit Rest shows now and kind of say to myself, God, I'd love to go and see that promotion. You know what I mean? Like, I've been very spoiled with having OTT here in the last few years and the quality of stuff that they've been putting out. I'm sitting there looking at this show saying, I'd love to go to a PCW show just to experience that atmosphere. You know what I mean? And maybe to put the kind of the smart part of my brain away and just go and enjoy the show and cheer and make noise and, and just lose myself in the atmosphere. You know what I mean? Because it really is a great atmosphere. And like when they're in the closing stretch of this match and there's near falls happening, the crowd is biting on everything. They're on their feet. They're popping for all the big moves. Like it's it's what you would want from a wrestling match. You know what I mean? And it succeeds on every single level. Like it's, you know, Tazawa is clearly a star here. He's super charismatic, but like he elevates Ligero so much. And just by being able, just by being able to hang with a guy of the quality of Tazawa, it brings up Ligero more. You know what I mean? And he's enhanced in the, in the eyes of the locals as well. You know what I mean? So it's just a complete success of a match on every level. If you're a smart fan, 
who wants to, you know, see see work rate and see a four star match, it's there. If you're a kid who wants to boo the guy who's who's you know who's who's sticking his middle finger up at at, at El Ligero, you get to do that as well. You know what I mean? So it just succeeds on every possible level as a match, an absolute gem of a match, a match I had never known even happened before. So like you know, this is the benefit of doing a little project like this. You see new things and you're exposed to a kind of a, a match you never even knew happened before. So really great pick, Andy. Was delighted to, to, that we got to watch this match for this show. Yeah, the uh, sorry about Martin. Uh, with with Tazawa, with um, like sticking the middle finger up and everything, he used to always do that on the uh, on the Dragon Gate UK shows, like stick the middle finger up, and when the crowd were going like yes, he'd go no, no, like play, yeah. playing off it, he couldn't speak um, like English much, but he'd come out with no, yes, fuck off. So <laughs> it was sort of sort of funny in that in that in that way. Yeah, definitely a perfect pick, Andy. And I'd, I'd say to everybody, go and watch this and think about all the other stuff that was going on in uh, 2012, certainly in Brit Rest, and nobody was putting on shows of this quality, really, were they? So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, definitely worth going to check out. But, um, I mean, so moving on to my first pick now was um, a promotion that I used to go to quite a lot in 2014. Uh, it was Southside. Uh, went to a number of their shows that year, and... Um, I remember Chris Hero had, had left WWE the year before, I think, and he wasn't quite the wrestler of the year that we got in 2016, but great. And then this was him facing off against the 17-year-old Tyler Bay. Um, sadly, I couldn't make it to the show, but I always remember Chris Hero really going out of his way on social media and stuff to really put over the match and Tyler Bay and say how it was one of his favorite matches. So I always really wanted to go back and watch it, and obviously, James, coming up with this show, I thought perfect opportunity with it being on youtube um i mean there's some technical a lot of technical issues with this match um it, there's some awful sound problems with the commentary by dale mills and adam curtis they were they did commentary in the dying days of 1pw and then the first couple of years of Southside, and there's some really awful like issues going on there and the match freezes at the beginning took about two minutes but um I mean, quite a fun match. Um, I mean, 2014, uh, Tyler Bate, uh, obviously showing a lot of promise, and Hero's going to be Hero. Um, but Tyler looked uh, pretty good early on. Obviously, it was mainly dominated by Hero, but um, I-, I quite enjoyed this one. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought this was maybe the best match of the, all the matches we watched, to be honest. I just love this match. Um, Chris Hero, like... Honest to God, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Like, he's just, you watch him do little things in matches that nobody else would think of doing. And it just, it never fails to keep you interested in what he's doing. There's a little thing he does in this match at the start where he drops the knee on Tyler Bates' head, does it a couple of times, and then rolls down the knee pad and does it one more time just to make it that bit more vicious. And then a couple of minutes later, Bates kind of goes, goes, starts to work on Hero's leg and he puts a figure four on Hero and he makes the point of pulling the knee pad off to make the figure four more painful and you just know that that was Hero's idea you know he was back t- backstage saying to, to, you, to a young Tyler Bate look I've got this little idea of something we can do in the early stages of this match that'll make it a little bit more interesting you know what I mean and it's just the genius of Chris Hero and like there is nobody better than Hero at presenting a wrestler with a mountain to climb and like if you're if you're putting this match together, you want it to be that young Tyler Bate 
has this monster that he's trying to overcome. And Hero is just so good at, 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 at making a wrestler struggle for everything. Like he makes Bate struggle for every little move, every technical hold. He makes him fight for it. He doesn't make it easy for when Bate is trying to do a power move. Move He makes him struggle to pick him up. Um, it's just just a masterclass by Hero, you know. And like Bate is so good, 17 years of age, and he's able to put this match on. The finish is incredible. Like, you know, Hero, Hero has to hit, I think, three or four rolling elbows before he puts Bate away and he makes sure to kind of take the elbow pad off to hit the last one. So yes, he beats Tyler Bate and yes, Tyler Bate can't overcome this monster of a man. But like just by the mere fact that they had to hit three rolling elbows to beat him, it puts over Bate huge. You know what I mean? Just just a joy to watch. And as I said, you're just, you forget sometimes how good Hero is because he hasn't been on the indies for a few years and he's been slumming it in NXT UK and kind of doing 10 minute matches here and there and then you watch this and you're reminded just how good he is you know and I don't know if you guys enjoyed it as much as I did but I just love this match so much Yeah I, I think I wouldn't go as far as joy to watch just because of the VOD problems Matt yeah. mentioned earlier yeah. I, I'll be honest I found it a struggle to watch because of that um, the, the sound levels, the lighting the commentary it, it, it and like Martin said, the freezing at the start of the match, like, I honestly thought that was my end, so I'm glad to hear that it was actually no, the, no, the video no. itself I was, I was skipping back and forth trying to get the thing going, um, it did make it hard to to fully appreciate it, but then when the work's this good, it's kind of undeniable isn't it, and when you know, I, I wanted, you know to, if it was on YouTube, I probably would have gone with Hero Marty Skrull. Either of those two matches um, from Pro Wrestle or Rev Pro, so it was made up to, for, for a Hero, you know, over here touring kind kind of the UK match to make it to the list. And yeah, despite those problems, they still stuck at me in there. The end, they still stuck at me in with kind of Hero. Basically, the story of the match is almost them putting Tyler Harris misery at the end, isn't it? It's uh, it's one of those matches where in definitive loss he does more for Tyler Bate than he would like a banana field peel exactly. finish yep. or something like that it's one of those kind of matches so I think for me a, a lot of it just speaks to the genius and how good Chris Hero is that you know Tyler Bate was very good at this young age but to get a match this good out of him to get a match that I could still appreciate despite some of the uh, the problems that the video had kind of yeah at this at this point in, in time and for a couple of years after like Chris Hero indie Chris Hero at the various points he's been on the indies is been up there with the best wrestlers in the world uh yeah and as you said james i'm excited to see him come out with uh with a fresh crop of talent and uh and work with those guys like he like he did tyler here and maybe we'll get some uh some gems like this maybe with some uh better video quality in uh, in 2020 <laughs> have you seen this one before andy yeah no i haven't martin um I, I, just to Benno's thoughts about the uh, video quality between three minutes and seven minutes uh, where it just cut off totally. I thought it was my phone. Well, no. uh, <laughs> and then I thought, oh, I'll try it on the TV. Oh, same thing. But um, I thought it were interesting that Tyler Bate went for a more like um, more, more Brit- British style of uh, manoeuvres than more than the flashy stuff you see now and more than, mm. you know, the more power man moves uh i think to be honest i was watching um tyler bates and walter from wembley the um the other day and tyler bates as an underdog baby face is excellent uh and he probably don't get to 
to show that off as uh, as much as he should. Um, but no, over overall, I thought it was it was an it was a fine match. I don't I don't think it was anything anything below away. Uh, it was more in my opinion, it was more Chris Hero than Tyler Bay getting a getting a showcase of things. But um, just a couple of things. Um, Tyler's T-shirt being a spin-off of uh, Daniel yeah. Bryan. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Martin <laughs> Kirby also had Martin Kirby also had a version of that with a uh, the Martin uh, frame uh, from PCW. Yeah, but it looked like Martini <laughs> with the exclamation uh, And also Chris Hero and his entrance doing the elbow tapping, which was. Uh, Way ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> you know you. But yeah, no, it, it was it was fine, but nothing blew away for me. Um. Well, moving on to my next pick, and um, I really wanted to pick something like before the Brit Rest boom of 2014, sort of in between World of Sport and uh, sort of like where we are at now, and. I picked Jody Flash against Johnny Storm, and I've sort of cheated a bit because this is from uh, CZW's Best of the Best 2 from 2002, 18 years ago. I don't want to make you guys feel old, but uh, I certainly felt <laughs> old when I was thinking how long ago this was. And um, I remember reading about these two in Power Slam, and I was like really intrigued. So I was like, there's two British wrestlers who aren't from World of Sport who are tearing it up, not only in the UK, but the USA. And I, I really want, and they had some great sort of pictures of Jody uh, Flash bouncing around the ring and, and flying around and see, and I really wanted to check them out and um, I mean these two must have the record for matches together surely I mean I went on to cage match and it seems we've been involved in matches together 110 times but it must be way more than that that's not that's logged it. on there um, and and this for me I picked uh, this one because it, it's one of their best matches together by far um, I mean it's before Jody picked up his injury Johnny's still got area and and what a showcase this was for these guys in the USA. I mean, they easily had the match of the night in this tournament. And uh, just two British wrestlers, super motivated. I'm not saying they aren't now, but they had something to prove in this one. I've not seen it in years, but pure nostalgia. I just loved re-watching this, grinning from ear to ear. Um, I mean, we've seen better spot fest, sure, but two Brits in 2002 going over to the US, stealing the show, just some... Great moments in this match, and Flash's uh, springboard DDT always looks absolutely fantastic, I think. I just absolutely loved revisiting this match. Um, just great memories of originally watching it and then re-watching it again now. Yeah, this was, this was like the match of Brit Res, wasn't it, during that period? Like, this was this was Brit Res, and, and you can tell, like, the... Uh, the American fans are kind of thinking that too. Like uh, the Americans, I think they were probably thinking, "Ah, oh, see, they're doing the flippy stuff, but they're doing some technical at the start." Oh, there they go, those British lads. Um, but yeah, it was like it was just non-stop. I think that was the thing about this match. Like, uh, I could see this not aging well, but I'll be honest, I have as much fun watching it now as I, as I did back then. And if that's not to say the match hasn't got a, a load of obvious problems with it, but who cares? Like, it's Josie and Johnny that they were in front of a CZW crowd. Like, if they didn't do this match, I'd be disappointed with them. Uh, but yeah, it, I think it was mainly non, it was partially maybe non-stop to a fault. Like, they don't even stop when Jody almost dies on that shooting start on the outside. <laughs> uh, they kind of, they just, they just didn't really give the, I think 
watching it with 2020 eyes, you can really see the difference between like indie wrestling then and now. Because I think the difference now is maybe you might get a match similar to this if we had like you know the equivalent as what well, was Osprey and Ricochet. I think that the guys now maybe know how to lay it out a little bit better to get the best response from the fans mm-hmm. for the individual spots. If you know what I mean, they never they don't stop for air. Uh, to give the fans a chance to lose their minds. The fans are trying to lose their minds and give them a stand ovation. And before you know it, Jody's on the top rope again and he's doing something else. But you know what? Fuck it. It's Jody and Johnny. This is what you signed <laughs> up for. This is what you get. And it was still, you know, this many years on. Still boss. Still well worth watching. And yeah, that was me. I was made that you picked this one, Martin. You could have picked one of their uh, epics from the uh, the UWA TV and maybe uh, stuck with the, uh, the with the rules or the, the King of England uh, torn up match. But to be honest, I think you did the right thing picking this one because I would say too, this is the uh, the pick of the litter when it comes to Johnny and Jody. It was like the the perfect storm for one of their matches. Um, barely, not too many. There's a couple of maybe odd botch spots, but nothing major. Everything kind of comes off, and it is like a, if you could. Think encapsulate you know johnny and jody in 2002 it's this match and if if, if gifts were a thing back in 2002 oh I think my the, god the most gift spot of all from <laughs> it i think is is the moonsault running up the wall like i, I remember yes. reading you know the way you, you'd read reviews that basically break down the match move for move and like I remember reading the review of his show, and like I think it might have been Iron Furious or someone like that. And literally in block capitals, there's there's the description of this moonsault running up the wall. And I'm sitting there reading it online. I probably in the library in college on a really bad internet connection way way back. And thinking, what the hell is that? Even is that? Now, nowadays, you can search that on Twitter and find it straight away. You know what I mean? But even the idea of a guy running up a wall and hitting a moonsault to me when I read about it was mind blowing. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just it's it's innovation. It's it's British wrestling's version of Ray against Psychosis or Tajiri against Super Crazy. You know what I mean? It's the indie junior heavyweight spot fest, um, and like it's it's a big deal for two British wrestlers in two thousand and two to be at what was at the time a prestigious tournament like best of the best in CZW in those days was a big deal it was up there with the boat with the with what Bola would become in later years um, so it was a big thing for them to be here you know what I mean and there's a, the moment they have at the end is quite nice you know what I mean they, they've done the match they've nailed pretty much everything as good as they're ever going to nail it and they kind of embrace in the ring and the whole crowd kind of stands up to greet them and it's 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 like validation for them you know what I mean because mm-hmm. being a British wrestler back then there wasn't an awful lot going on. You know what I mean? So, so to get to come to America, to get to do your match and to blow those fans away on a card full of of, of like the really good indie high flyers at the time, that was a big thing. You know what I mean? And it's just really gratifying to see it, you know. Um, and like the, the other thing that crossed my mind is <laughs> Jody Fleisch is a really, he's an enjoyable wrestler to watch, maybe in ways that he's not trying to be enjoyable because you're literally watching him all the time and on one hand, you're blown away by how athletic he is. But on the other hand, you've kind of got your heart in your mouth because it's either going to go, he's going to nail it perfectly or he's going to half die on a move. But either way, it's a bit like watching Sabu. It's sloppy. It's messy. He only nails it half the time. But either way, it's kind of entertaining to watch. You know what I mean? And I think that that springboard shooting star press that you mentioned, Benno, where he's a about a half a foot away from braining himself on the ring apron as he comes yeah. down. Like that's that, if one if you could take it a clip of Jody Fleisch that sums him up. I think it's <laughs> that the, the crowd goes nuts for us. They pop, but he's a fraction of a second away from disaster as well. And that's pretty much Jody Fleisch, probably the most concussed man in the history of British wrestling. I'd say. <laughs> oh, like 
you mentioned that uh, run up the wall moonsault. Like I saw him do that at uh, TNT last year against Pac, and it felt like a real full circle moment for me. You know, seeing it in real life, being yeah, stood there yeah. in the crowd and seeing Jody run up a wall, it was just like, yes, that was the spot you had to see, wasn't it? Yeah, it was <laughs> incredible. Yeah, uh, myself, and uh, um, just uh, what James has said about the sh- that, that springboard shooting star press, I put my notes like, he nearly caught his feet on the ropes. Like, oh, he's not got enough, uh, you know, spring out of this. But now, thank, for, thankfully, he didn't die. But uh, <laughs> no, I put, uh, no, I put pace of this match very quick, and they actually hit everything near enough. Which, you know, for Johnny and Jody. So sometimes, I think more more recently, I've seen him, you know, bugger up a couple of manoeuvres, but. You sort of like, ah, they tried, sort of thing. And mm. um, with with um, what Ben all said about when Jody runs up the wall, I seen that myself at uh, Fight Club Pro. Well, I think with, they were in that Dream Tag Team Invitational one year. It's, it's a thing to be old that um, that that move. Um, just what one more point on this match. Uh, was Johnny Storm, his theme music, uh, what he come out to, which was Fives, Let's Dance. Um, so she <laughs> wasn't keep on moving, which was a, a bigger banger than Let's Dance. But, hey, hearing Let's Dance in an, um, <laughs> an American wrestling show, who'd have thought? And she was like the heel in this match as well. She obviously oh. comes out giving the crowd a load of shit, doesn't he? And he just doesn't match up yeah. his entrance theme. Jody's got a banger, though, that yeah. Rage Against the Machine one. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, J- yeah. Johnny as the heel was a bit odd, though. Like him, you know, using a couple of uh, homophobic epaulets there that you can get away with back then that you, you wouldn't get away with now. Uh, but he always was kind of the heel in this in the duo. Well, he was always like, I, I as a kid, the first time I saw him on, on those UWA TVs, like I was just like, why is this British lad dressed exactly like Juventu Guerrero? <laughs> and that was basically like his character for a while, wasn't it? And he tried <laughs> it with this heel stuff and that, but I don't know. You just wanted to see the two of them exchange spots didn't you yeah um, it was, I, I, I was kind of sad kind of sad this period didn't really lead to more for the two of them you know they kind yeah. of both went into semi-retirement and they've had like a bit of a second run now but like in peak ring of honor peak you know horrible to say but there was a peak ccw ccw once in peak ccw could we have saw more of them there could more have happened with them um yeah i feel like the there was money to be made there more with the, with these two than was yeah. made because yeah, like like everyone's kind of alluded to the the British scene wasn't really up to much at that point. So like it would have been great to see them make. But they are like the names you hear Americans talk about when they talk about British guys on the US Indies in the early two thousands. But I feel like there was a a lot more money left on the table with this match that uh, that could have been made. Yeah, because obviously they're still, um, I'm assuming they do still do sort of like the holiday circuit and things like that, and I know Johnny Storm's done um, a variety of sort of stunt work and played, I think, wasn't he, like one of the stunt, him and Greg Burridge, one of the stunt films in like a couple of the Harry Potter films and things like that, and then um, <laughs> I think Jody's like a personal chain now and then obviously comes back for like Red Pro and things like that, but yeah, I do agree, Benno, it is a... It's a shame that we, did, we didn't get m- more of these guys in sort of more high-profile things, but... Um, yeah, I, I really, I'm glad I, I picked this one because it was great rewatching it. Yeah, but, um, brilliant, great pick. Moving on from that, uh, it's on to your first pick, Benno. 
Yeah, um, Davy Richards and Jack Gallagher from uh, from Future Shock. Uh, this is the first of two matches. They did the rematch uh, a bit later on at a, at a bigger venue. Um, yeah, for this one, like I, I chose it. I mean. Partly, uh, I couldn't get the Rev Pro matches I wanted, but this was one that I was like, very close to deciding on picking from a final two, and I think it would have made it either way. I think part of it's because, you know, being a, a child of the Northwest like our Randy, like this feels like an important match um, in Northwest wrestling history, I think. Because I think, you know, say what you will about Davy Richards, and I will. At this point, many people <laughs> consider him the best wrestler in the world, uh, including uh, maybe Dave Meltzer didn't go that far, but he was throwing stars at him like it was anybody's business. Jack Gallagher was not that far removed from doing his, his silly punk Jack Toxic gimmick. Uh, Google it if you've not seen it with his green hair and his yeah kind of skinny, baggy punk shorts that he used to wear. And he kind of he transitions into this Jack Gallagher character. And I think all of us up in the Northwest knew how good he was. But this put him on the map. I think this is very similar to Zack Sabre and Daniel Bryan, to be honest. It's got a, it feels like a, like a similar mm. match. Um, cause it was, it was, it was a genuine top level indie star at the time versus someone from what was essentially the Northwest undergraps at that, at that point. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Davey was over in Future Shock a little bit doing for the rematch, the like a work shoot thing where he stole the future shock belt and some shit all you know, all around that time that all that wheelman stuff with Tony Kazina and all the uh all the controversy surrounding Davy Richards, they kind of played that in too. So that, that second match maybe gets a, a bit more of the the press, but this first match for me, yeah, it's where Jack Gallagher kinda went from being a guy that GPW and Future Shock fans maybe knew and all the British Indies uh, up here knew about to being a wrestler that the people, you know, around the country knew about. Uh, and yeah, very, very good match. I, I still thought, uh, I think Jack Gallagher in this match, had, he does have a, Jordan Briggs has very, not even a little bit of the, uh, the touch of the Jack Gallagher's. I thought he reminded me a lot of, uh, of, uh, of young Jordan uh, these days watching Jack in this early incarnation uh, of himself. And, you know, the match was maybe a bit more one-sided than I remembered. Um, but again, you know, I think that the big thing was how good Gallagher was at this time. You kind of take it for mm. granted now, and he's a bit underutilized, uh, to say the least, in WWE. Uh, but you could see there was the makings of a very, very good wrestler here, and it looked like it took Davy Richards by surprise as well. So, yeah, for me and maybe my Northwest fandom and seeing like this small bubble that I grew up in and, and trained in, kind of, you know turn into something part of the, the wider scene and see someone like a Jack Gallagher's career go the way it did. Um, yeah, I felt like this was an important match, but I don't know. What did you guys make it? What do you think of it, James? It felt like a, like a Jamesy match. I know you're not the big, you know, a huge Davy Richards guy. Like a, I'm not a huge Davy Richards guy, but I know uh, Jack's a guy that you're a, a big fan of these days. Oh yeah. Like, and I, I couldn't believe the date on this. I like, I, I watched the match and then afterwards I checked the date and like it, it was a massive shock to me that this was that this was nine years ago, and that Jack mm-hmm. Gallagher was this good nine years ago. I I have it in I just I have it in my head that Jack Gallagher is kind of a more recent newcomer to the British wrestling scene for some reason, and to see him this good nine years ago was genuinely genuinely blew me away. Um, it was really funny to see him come out to the ring camp team. I, I laughed so much yes. when that happened. I was like, oh. I can't believe he, he he settled on that way before they ever before ring camp was even a thing, which is very funny. Um, there's a classic Davy Richards moment in it where um, Gallagher like he, he's chasing the armbar the whole way through this. He's really trying to get this cross arm baker on Davy, and he's working away on the arm and doing really 
good work in Davy Richards' arm. He even does a diving headbutt at one point directly to the arm. And Davy actually sells the arm. And like he tries to do an Irish whip at one point and he can't get the power in his arm to move Gallagher across the ring. And then he totally stopped selling it for the rest of the match. And I, <laughs> if, 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 if one thing ever summed up Davy Richards, it's that. Like, he was doing great. He did a lovely little sell job on it and then totally blew it off. And we never even think about the arm again. And that to me is Davy Richards in a nutshell. He does a lot of things right, but he doesn't do the fine nuanced detail stuff well enough to be, to be ever be called the best in the world as far as I'm concerned. But really enjoyed this. Uh, very much a Jamesy match, Beno. Thanks for picking it. I, I was delighted to watch <laughs> it. And as I said, like, oh, we can't say the feckin' commentary guys I think of all the matches we watched so far I was sitting there thinking Glenn Joseph sounds like Lance Russell like when I was (laughs) Jesus Christ give me the the big text as well yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. There was there was these graphics on the screen the whole way through advertising DVDs and you couldn't see any of the mat work because of it. It was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the greatest shambles I've ever seen in my life. I don't know. Was it maybe to get people to buy the DVD so you could see the match properly? Maybe I don't know. But yeah, yeah, yeah that, that probably was it, actually. Wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but, but that commentary was was. Yeah, so I was like, well, when you're sitting there wishing for Glenn Joseph, you, you know, it's bad commentary. Like, I, I don't know. Were you in agreement, Andy? Did you like the commentary on this? Um, no, it was it was G man, wasn't it? He was the drizzling shit. Uh, it's a good job he's good at video editing because uh, yeah, I should give up commentary. <laughs> um, I think on a match where we see uh, later on, I think it's the uh, Chris. Well, the what um, Benno's second choice? Yeah. Oh God, he's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, but. No, it's a it's a good it's a good match. Um, for me, I more remember the one they had the second time round, uh, which mm. took place at the Royal Northern College of Music, uh, which is halfway down Ox- Oxford Road in Manchester. And th- that was you had that one. match that I acclaimed. Sorry, Ben. You had that one, Andy. Were you at that show, Andy? Because I know the big thing out of that show is like Jamesy mentioned the uh, the ring camp theme that Jack comes out of. And my biggest memory of that is that he comes out on that show, and you can find the video. It's on YouTube, yeah. and they've got like museums from the uh, sort of musicians from the Royal College of Music all dotted in the ring playing the theme to his entrance. It's like yeah, <laughs> wow. Jack was thinking ahead of time. Like that'd be cool it's with dope. ring camp, but it was really cool like back then with Jack. Yeah, I remember seeing the V. Oh, actually, was. Wasn't at the show. I was at um, York Races that day um, for for like my birthday. Well, I did have tickets to that show, but I was hoping I'd get back in time, but didn't work out. But I remember, I remember what Ben Hull said about the uh, the like the orchestra playing him in, uh, and they actually uh, with that music as well. They did that for Walter at uh, Wembley. It's a, it's a good little good little you know move. But no, overall I thought. Good match, uh, and this was before my time. Before I went to Future Shock, I didn't. I didn't really go till maybe a year after this, in like 2013. Always, re- always remember like Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time that day. <laughs> so that was like the first time I went to Future Shock. But no, good match. Davy Richards, um, he actually come back to Future Shock. Um, well, after this match, it would be three times he did the. Uh, rematch with Gallagher, then he did a four-way maybe a year or two after, I would say, um, which also involved Gallagher. 
and then he was a part of like a ladder match where he teamed with Eddie Edwards against Danny Open Joy A's in like a ladder match in Presswich. <laughs> uh, glamorous location. But now, for, for all the times I, I did see David Richards at uh, Future Shock, he did put, um, I would say, a shift in. Um, yeah, no. Good, good match. Good match overall. Yeah, he was over here loads, weren't he, Davy Richards? He didn't care what the venue was, where it was. I mean, he was on all those early Fight Club Pro shows, weren't he? And they were like really tiny venues and then places like this and that. He always he was over here all the time. I've got to say, though, I'd, I mean, to echo what you said, Benno, I do find Davy Richards very overrated and I did roll my eyes when <laughs> I saw that he was in this match. But um, yeah, I did. I didn't, I can't <laughs> add much more than you guys have already said, but I did enjoy this match. But I suppose the interesting conversation comes out of this is that. You know, because he has been wallowing away on WWE for so long. Do you think people have sort of forgotten? I mean, I certainly haven't. I picked him high in our uh, Euro transfer window. Do you think people have sort of forgotten, you know, how great Jack Gallagher was and how much better it would have been if we'd have got a few more years out of him sort of in higher pro? I remember he had a good, super strong style match, uh, one of the first uh, tournaments at Progress Run against um, Mark Haskins. I enjoyed that one a lot. And I think he had some really great stuff on it. It's just a shame we didn't get a few more years out of him. Yeah, I think, I think he's easily the poster boy for kind of the Pete Dunne problem where Regal was such a big fan of him. He got snapped up and sent to WWE. And it's kind of what we worried would happen with Thatcher that hasn't happened yet. And he's just not a guy that really suits WWE. And you can understand him taking the contract and understand him going out there. And he had that one memorable spot in a rumble. And now he's wasted away on 205 Live, isn't he? Um, he's almost like a, a warning kind of to wrestlers of what can happen. I'm sure, you know, he's making a living, depending on what they're paying for the 205 Live guys at this point. But I don't know if artistically he can be hugely happy. Uh, it kind of reminds me of that earlier match. You know, we we talked about Tozawa and El Ligero and how good their matches. Mm. They're two lads who are signed to WWE, you know. I forgot that until I watched the match. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. Both of these two are signed to WWE. There's actually quite a few on this list uh, that are signed to WWE that were, uh, were kind of not, not being uh, used uh, to the best of their, their ability. Uh, yeah, kind of almost sad to watch, isn't it? Like how similar to Tyler, like what a Jack Gallagher. He was just starting to get noticed. He was just progress, like, you know, from people I've spoken to, weren't the highest on booking him at first, and I think Regal liked him, and he got booked more for that, but he was starting to get more regularly used in progress and starting to get a name for himself. And like Jamesy said, he was probably fresh to a lot of people who weren't following the, the Northwest scene, and then he was snapped up, and yeah, he's kind of, in a way, he avoided the, the NXT UK stink, but he ended up with the, the 205 Live stink instead, <laughs> so I don't know if that's uh, that's any better. Imagine him back over here against Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, I'd definitely go to that show. <laughs> oh, I was glad Andy got that one. That was uh, me upvoting my own card. Yeah. That I put together. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Martin, I, I was going to say that the one time he has been back in the last couple of years was a match at uh, Future Shot Wrestling against Sam Bailey, uh, which... Yeah, I, I recommend you check that one out. It, it showed what Jack Gallagher is like best at, and it showed even Sam Bailey in a great light. Oh, definitely um, check that one out. Proper good 20-minute match. Yeah, definitely give that a look. Is it on their uh, VOD service, Future Shot? It is, yeah. It's a, mm. like an anniversary show from 2019. 
Oh, wow, I didn't realise that Gallagher had done anything outside WWE in 2019. Yeah, no, he just he just come back for that one match. He was all the set-up uh, with, like, mm. uh, Sam Bailey, like, calling him out, and he eventually, yeah, we'll, we'll have a match at the anniversary show, and nice. No, it's a belter of um, a 20-minute match. Was certainly in my top 10 for last year. Oh. What was your uh, next pick, Benno? Yeah, uh, my second match is uh, another PCW one. Like, this says something, doesn't it? We've done a double PCW on this show. Uh, speaks to how big it was in its pomp for uh, the likes of me and Andy. Uh, Chris Masters and Chris Travis. Um, this was match two, I believe, of their... I think it ended up being a three-match series. I was at the third match, uh, which is the the one show I believe uh, Andy can tell us he, he wasn't at uh, from a PCW point of view during this period. This was the famed uh, show when they brought up brought over the uh, the Steiner brothers, teamed them with Michelle Thorne. Uh, they won the tag belts on night one, and then they got they lost them on night two, uh, which yeah. and then without even getting pinned in a three-way, which is you know it's the Steiners. They still got to protect themselves, uh, but yeah. That that third match that I was live at was probably the best Masters Travis match, at least from reports of uh, people who were at um, all of their matches. Um, shame that one's not on YouTube. It's a bit more of a, a bloody epic. But from this match as well, you can tell that the chemistry the two of them had. Uh, it was a great atmosphere watching this one back. This was, you know, it was clear in Tozawa Legero that... My God, look at PCW, but this one with the even bigger crowd, uh, again, says the draw of, uh, of Scott Steiner and Michelle Thorne there. Uh, but seeing that big crowd in that brightly lit HD shop building, it did take me back to the glory days and it took me back to, you know, what, what PCW was at this point. And the reason I went to, to their shows at this point, it was, it was the big night out promotion even before Fight Club Pro was. Uh, although, yeah, it simultaneously managed to be a, a child-friendly promotion. That that was a winning combo, that being able to sell the night out after the, the show and also sell the, uh, the in-ring Polaroids and the uh, and the autograph signings. It was uh, quite the other uh, business package. But, yeah, this one felt like it really came at the uh, the peak of that. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was a fun match. A lot of stalling, maybe, uh, from Travis on it. But you can tell they got chemistry. You can tell they liked working with each other there. And I thought it was a, a pretty good match, if maybe not a... Not a standout, after all, uh, from this list, but a notable, I'd say, feud in British wrestling. Maybe the the reason I wanted to pick it here. I don't know about uh, what you guys thought of it watching it for the first time. Yeah, I think much like Legero and Martin Kirby, Travis was the guy to go up against imports because you knew that he could go with them. And um, mm-hmm. and people watching from abroad might be scratching their heads and going, "What you picked fucking match with Chris Masters in?" But like <laughs> he was, he had that sort of like um, a second career over here, didn't he? And especially in PCW, mm-hmm. he was all he was a big star mm-hmm. in there, and he had good matches and. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, if you try pirating any DVDs, you'd turn up at your house. Um, <laughs> so he, he was a big part of uh, PCW, wasn't he? And he certainly got rave reviews for a lot of these matches as well. <laughs> oh, imagine you broke you broke me, Martin. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, better be careful. I don't want to say anything bad about Flood or PCW or Chris Masters might turn up at your door. Everyone say nice things about this match, lad. Absolutely. I tell it's you, it's a what, great story, that though. <laughs> I give Chris Masters great credit. He turned up here to work. You know what I mean? And like, it would be very easy for a former WWE superstar to show up to Preston PCW, an audience full of kids do a 10, five, 10 minute match, do his, do his trademark move and go home. He came here to work and he had a good solid match with Chris Travis. And like, 
you're watching this and anytime you watch a Chris Travis match, it's it's with a kind of an air of sadness, obviously, because you, you wonder if things were different, you know what I mean? And how, how much would he have achieved in wrestling? Because he's genuinely even, even back in 20, I think this is 2013. Is that right? Um, um, he's good at this point even, you know what I mean? His comeback is really good. His comeback is really fiery. I love the finish to the match. Like, obviously, anybody who's come to this show to see Chris Masters is here to see the master lock. You know what I mean? The famous move that wasn't broken out of in two years in WWE. And, you know, like, um, it became his thing. And they, they, they work a really clever finish where they kind of combine the master lock with, with, with the Bret Hart, Roddy Piper finish from WrestleMania, where he has the master lock on Travis and Travis runs up the turnbuckles, flips over, and while still in the master lock, pins Masters' shoulders to the mat. And a really good imaginative finish where, where you don't expect a guy with, with Chris Travis's build to break the master lock. You know what I mean? And that, that wouldn't be realistic in any way. But instead, he finds a way around it and gets the pinfall from it. And I, I think I enjoyed this match more than you guys, to be honest. I, I just had a great time watching it. I've always kind of liked Masters. Do you remember that match he had on Superstars when he was in WWE with Drew McIntyre? It was a real hidden gem of TV matches. I think it was in, was it 2011, if I remember right? The second go round, weren't it? Yeah. He was um, yeah. always having these really good matches on Superstars, yeah. but no one was watching them. Yeah, he genuinely, like when he wanted to go, he genuinely could go, you know what I mean? And he's the kind of a guy you wonder why they didn't make more of nearly, you know what I mean? But yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, and as I said, it was just a, another another time when I'm looking at that Preston crowd and thinking, I'd love to be in that crowd. It's a great atmosphere. The place is packed to the rafters. The crowd is really raucous. You know, they're, 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 they're clearly cheering the big WWE guy, but they're also really behind the hometown uh, guy and Chris Travis as well. So just, as I said, looked to me like a, a, a show I would have loved to be at back in the day. But sadly you weren't. One of the few ones you didn't get to, Andy. Yeah, um, yeah, regular. And there were a couple of things here. The Chris Masters pet dance uh, to his <laughs> ch- to the dance found funny. <laughs> um, also, um, Crow Sting from Row. Um, I saw that, yeah. Child Crow Sting. Well, that's the same fella as uh, Wolfpack Sting, who, who you met, Benno. That's it, yeah. He's all grown up now. <laughs> um, G Man's commentary, shite. Um, I thought Greg Lambert was good, though. So, thankfully, Greg Lambert's there to save the day. Um, I think nowadays in PCW is is like commentary duo with uh, Stallion is probably one of the best in Brit Rest. I would I say they work well. well. I thought he was pretty decent. Magic Mark, yeah, no, he's, he's a good commentator as well. I think uh, Greg Lambert adds so much to the shows. Um, take take away like like G Man from this. I think Greg Lambert does um, a sterling job. Um, also near the end, uh, the Dave Rain cash in. Uh, ben will <laughs> know who Dave Rain is. Um, yeah, the hashtag Boom Belt, uh, which I actually won once in a, a raffle at PCW. Uh, I sold it for like eight, I think about eighty quid on eBay. We well, had um, a little chip in, chip in the paint um, on the belt. That's a proper good looking belt. I had to carry it all the way back from Preston back to Rochdale, like on the train, on the tram. Look, looked all right, Totten. But um, <laughs> yeah, eighty, 80 quid richer. Uh, you can't moan, but. 
No, it, it, it was an all right match. I do think the later matches, uh, like what Ben all said about the uh, like the match they had on the Steiner Brothers show, is like the best match that they had between the two. But, but um, I think Jamesy and Martin took the words out of my mouth when actually put me notes about Chris Masters' run on uh, WWE Superstars, which he was famed for. Like 2011, which, yeah, even had me watching, like, bloody hell, Chris Masters having a good match. I think the last good match I had in a cinema was against Shawn Michaels on, like, a Raw House show in Manchester. But when you're in with Shawn Michaels, well, anyone could have a good match, can't they? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was that sort of, like, I remember everyone talking at the time going, oh, has everyone been watching these matches on Superstars and stuff? And Chris Masters always uh, was the one everyone talked about. Yeah. Unbelievably. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're on to uh, the final match on the list, and it's uh, your second pick, Andy. It is. Um, it's actually the most recent match on the list. It's from the 27th of October 2019. Uh, it's from Tidal Championship Wrestling, uh, probably my favourite promotion around. Uh, it's from their Tidal Grounded show, uh, which was the second in the series. Very similar to, um, I think everyone seemed to watch tapes of WXW's Ambition and thought, oh, that'll do a good show. And then, obviously, you've had the Tetsujin shows, and I think Breed did did a show as well. But this title, Grounded Show, it's not necessarily like a submission-based show. It's no no ropes, and just have wrestlers in there and try to work around the confines of like no, no ropes being there. And they've had a couple of matches. I think there were one between a tag team called uh, Crash Ball, who were two high flyers, and having them work around, oh, there's no rope. We'll see, how do we do any high fly manoeuvres? But they eventually worked around it. But this match here, uh, what we're going to go through, is uh, David Graves, who's the uh, title championship wrestling champion, uh, against Kevin Lloyd, or as some people may know him, Sexy Kev. Uh, this was in a six um, three-minute rounds uh, match with submission, pinfall, or KO being the deciding fall. Um, we have uh, Mr. Colin on commentary and Cowboy John, the referee. Um, yeah, what, what do you think, guys? Yeah, I've got to be honest, I'd never really seen these two guys before, and obviously Tidal are a, a, a weird promotion, aren't they? Because obviously they came out of the gate sort of like bringing the lights of Adam Cole and guys like that in, and then they sort of um, found some more even footing when they went to Leeds uh, University, didn't they? And they had sort of like their own roster of talent, and then they're bringing import in, and now they seem to have really got their own crew of guys and build up sort of like a loyal fan base so they are very much a, an interesting British promotion and I've got to say I enjoyed this one um, it's not sort of like um, a style that I'd usually jump for but um, I mean it definitely seemed like um, a Jamesy match through and through but I, I've got to say I did really enjoy this and I thought Graves was um, was really impressive in this one 
Yeah, like you said, Martin, definitely a Jamesy match. So I appreciate you putting it on here, Andy. Um, I have to say I have great admiration for Kev Lloyd. Um, I, I've seen him twice now in w, WXW um, on the Ambition shows. And like, you know, as you said, probably better known for the sexy Kev gimmick, um, Andy. But he clearly has an interest in this style of wrestling and he clearly is very driven to kind of explore it and that kind of thing. Like I, I noticed there uh, just before Carrot, he was one of the, I think he was the only British guy who flew out to Carrot early and took part in the Yuki Ishikawa seminar. You know what I mean? So that shows he's, he's dedicated. It shows that he has a love for this kind of shoot style wrestling or shoot adjacent wrestling. Um, and you can see that he's getting, every time I see him, he's getting better and better at it. You know what I mean? So hopefully he sticks with it because there's definitely room for people doing that style of wrestling. As you said, Andy, there's more and more of those shows springing up the Tetsujin thing was quite popular Ambition is running more and more over in Germany um, they do they, I know you are giving out about rounds matches earlier Benno um, mm-hmm. they, they work they, they work this the way you should work a rounds match in that there's a clear escalation in intensity as the rounds go on so the, the first couple of rounds the kind of feeling out process by the time they get to kind of round four or five it's getting serious like at one point I think Graves he, he literally he chops Lied across the face, which is pretty brutal stuff. Um, as they as the match goes on, the work on the neck is getting more and more vicious. It's what would happen in the world of sport matches that I enjoyed, where it would start off quite cordial, and then somebody would lose their temper, and it would get kind of serious maybe in the later rounds of the match. So I think they worked it very well. They used the ring post really well at one point. Again, they, they did the kind of Bret Hart flip over, Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, uh, Roddy Piper flip over move again so they were kind of using their imagination with the surroundings to kind of do unique things um yeah really enjoyable as i said up my street in terms of the style of match um did you like it benno or did it kind of go along with your your aversion towards rounds matches <laughs> yeah it's, i mean it's not really a, a style of match that's going to be for me i was enjoying like the i do go, enjoy going to ambition live and going to tetsujin live sometimes i fi- find them a rough watch on tape i think i don't think the rounds added anything to the match to be honest i think it would be better without the rounds uh that's just a personal taste thing though i can see what you're saying jamesy about like the the escalation and the using it to tell the story they did but i, I wouldn't say i had a bad time watching it i like kevin lloyd you mentioned the sexy cab thing. Like, I'm pretty sure I was at his first match. Uh, I mean, GPW oh, wow. when he first came out as, as sexy Kev. And they got family members in the crowd with all sexy Kev uh, signs and stuff to, to get himself <laughs> over. Uh, I, I, yeah, he got, he got that gimmick over. And this has been a real kind of change in, in pace and a change in idea for what he wants out of his career and it probably is the better move you know from a from a from a making money point of view and from getting on cards with the prestige indies you know sexy kev's always at the at the shelf life and yeah i've got tons of admiration for myself as well the fact that he's done that the fact that he you know went out and trained with wxw and managed to get himself into the uh to ambition this year uh, the fact that he was an alternate in the, uh, I think, two of the Tetsujin tournaments as well. Uh, I was happy to do that, you know, and, and was there to to step in if uh, if needed. Um, and yeah, I thought he was good. That David David Graves was uh, solid for his part in the match as well. I like the setup with the uh, with the no ropes. I think that's a that's something I, I do want to see more of in wrestling. And just generally, yeah, I enjoyed watching Tidal from this venue, which uh, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to get the chance to uh, to go to now, uh, which is a real real shame. Uh, but I can, you know, the atmosphere was great, and I can certainly see why uh, why Andy picked this match and why uh, he's always a man to uh, to be talking Tidal up. Yeah, I was going to say um, just a couple of notes around this match. Um, David, David Graves, um, like a month 
a month or two before this, actually won the um, TCW title. But before that, he'd been out for like near enough like 12 to 18 months with a, a knee injury. So um, they sort of give him the opportunity whenever you fit, you can have a title shot sort of thing. So he won on his uh, first match back. And he's held the he's held the title ever since, um, like September 2019. Uh, with, with Kevin Lloyd, I remember speaking to him at the um, WSW 16 Carat this year, and it's still a match he he fondly like reminisces about him. Well, I reminisce about it to him as well, um, about how good it was, and he enjoys doing that style of uh, doing that style of wrestling he, he has competed in quite a lot of um like grappling tournaments um uh, i think they've held a couple in um in like liverpool which is which he's been in, involved in um yes and no so he's wet he's well into that and he wants to wants to do more that way with with the actual uh temple of boom cafe where it was uh where the show was held i think it actually um the place now actually sells furniture uh, of all things, oh. since uh, since titles uh, been booting out of there, but I, I, I'm well assured that title have actually got a new venue in Leeds. Um, fingers crossed. Uh, but no, um, Temple Temple of Doom, excellent venue for for wrestling. Fit about hundred people in eating eating vegan curry and drinking two pound fifty cans of Guinness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it does sound like a cracking venue. It is a shame that, uh, like Benno said, we won't be able to head up there. But um, just to round out before um, we head out of here, uh, did you guys have a a favourite that you could pick out from this list? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think just based on how much it took me by surprise, I'd say to Zawa Liguero. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be as good as it was. Maybe a close second, Jody Johnny. Um... Yeah, to be honest, I enjoyed everything on the list, you know, to, to varying degrees, obviously. But, you know, even the rounds matches, I know. Uh, I don't know what's, what's happened to me. Maybe Jamie's made a <laughs> believer out of me with, uh, with Owen and Marty Jones, because uh, that was great too. Uh, but yeah, if you made me pick, I'd pick uh, Tozawa Laguerre, I reckon, for me. Yeah, I think I'd go the same. I don't want to go with my own pick, Jody and Johnny. But yeah, that Tozawa Laguerre match, uh, I'd say... <laughs> Definitely check out all the matches on this, but if you've only got time for one, I'd say that is just, uh, just, I just can't believe it was in 2012, and you think about everything, <laughs> the, um, a lot of rub promotions around the world, and the quality of the wrestling, the quality of the uh, VOD, and just a great atmosphere and stuff, definitely will, will go in out of your way to check out. I'd say of the matches I hadn't seen before, I'd actually say in spite of the technical issues, in spite of the shite commentary, in spite of everything that they made it difficult for you to watch the match, I would still <laughs> say that that hero base match was was really good. Um, maybe, it, maybe it's because I'm so old and I'm used to watching really bad quality videos back 20 years ago that, 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 that I, I was able to see past all the technical issues and the bad sound and everything like that. I still think that's a real gem of a match. And like if, if they could get that remastered into a better quality, I think people will be raving about that match. Just as a snapshot of how good a young Tyler Bate was and as a snapshot of how good Chris Hero was in 2014, I, I, just, I just really love that match. I, th- I think from my own point of view, um, to, to be honest, I'm one of those who never goes back and watches matches 
if I've been there live, I'm, I'll never watch him on VOD. Yeah, but I, I'd say the um, uh, from my own personal thing, I enjoy, properly enjoyed the Tazara and Liguero one. I know I picked him, but what an excellent match that one is. And mm. um, I, I enjoyed Johnny Storm and Jody Fly. So I put on the bottom of, bottom of my notes, uh, thumbs way up. Uh, <laughs> real fun watching that. Um, yep, it's been, um, it's been certainly um, fun going back and watching a lot of these matches and just some great memories and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we should definitely do this one again. Um, but, Andy, any plugs before we end out of here? Yeah, um, only one plug. Um, recently, I've done a, about a two-and-a-quarter-hour podcast on a Progress Wembley's um, show from September 2018. Which was no, it was a good, it was a good watch. But I've got to say, this week I've seen two Jimmy Abbott versus uh, Paul Robinson death matches <laughs> of contrasting <laughs> contra- contrasting uh, things. And uh, the one from uh, Wembley, and also the one at Super uh, Super Strong Styles sixteen from twenty nineteen, where Jimmy Abbott basically turns up in. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, he doesn't look in good nick. That's all I can say. <laughs> Uh, like compared compared to the now, where he's wearing a all-in-one bin bag on uh, AEW, uh, <laughs> but he it, 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 it looks in better shape now than he did in a uh, Super Strong Style 2019. So we're gonna say. Oh, and uh, Benno Grapple Towers. Yeah, we had uh, Gravel Gareth himself uh, live from Grapple Towers on uh, our last Spotlight episode. Of- Review and as we said earlier, we went deep on Hannah Kimura and uh, social media and wrestling in general, and so obviously spared about forty minutes at the start to just have a go at Dominic Cumming. So if uh, any of those three things uh, are of interest, do check it out. And also, I've been doing some streaming streaming over on uh, Twitch.tv/slash Benson Richard E of uh, me playing TW2020. So yeah, go out there and watch the stream that uh, the Joe Lemon called like watching somebody do admin work. Um, hard sell. Our Joe gave it for us on a <laughs> grapple this week. Uh, but if you are into like management type games or you're interested in TW, maybe I'll have a couple of streams going. This weekend uh so yeah if you if you fancy it check that out twitch.tv slash benson richardy jamesy a couple of plugs yeah um i recorded an episode of ewan ewan mckenzie's podcast about a month ago now where he's doing a series of shows about your favorite wrestler so i had the opportunity to talk about a man we discussed earlier on the show, Timothy Thatcher. So as you can imagine, I had plenty to say about him and managed to sneak in a little bit of love about Daniel Maccabi as well. So you can imagine I was in my element on that show. And I believe that that's dropping. It's called the Discuss Lariat podcast. And I believe, I believe, Andy, you did it. You did um an episode of it about Stone Cold Steve Austin a while back. So my my episode of that is dropping on Saturday, I believe. And then we will be recording the February Edition February 2020 edition of the Match of the Month podcast this weekend. Myself and we have my fellow Waterford man, JP Houlihan, joining me to talk about all the great matches from this February. So that'll be going up hopefully on the Grapple Audio Network next week. Um, and yeah, that's everything. My Twitter is at Jamesy underscore 2015. And yeah, that's about it. And of course, all roads lead to postwrestling.com. Uh... Give us your feedback on forum.postwrestling.com. And, of course, check out all the other shows. Obviously, I mentioned at the top of the show, great show with uh, John Wayne, W.H. Park, chatting Hannah Kimura and uh, the AEW show from this past week. So definitely check that out. And 
everything else, of course, the uh, David Portman and uh, Braden bringing us uh, up next every week. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you in a couple of weeks talking all late from European wrestling.